This is Free Talk Live, and it's the Friday edition of the show. We're kicking off hour number one. You can take control of the airwaves. Toll free, 800-259-9231. That's 1-800-259-9231, the Packet 8 toll free lines. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All of the features on the site, we give them away. And that includes the live streams, broadband version, dial-up version, two streams. Should fit virtually anybody's internet connection. So head over there and tune in live at freetalklive.com. That is freetalklive.com. We have got a lot to talk about here tonight, including an update on a story we talked about a long time ago involving a McDonald's store, a manager, her employee, and a cop supposedly on the line. Was that McDonald's? Yeah, it was a McDonald's. Well, it was, it was a Burger done, King. It was done at different places. Okay. We'll, get it, uh, we'll get you the details on that, but uh, first, to the airports for the newest in TSA security, what is it that they have implemented now, Mark, that will keep us all so safe? Well, um, from the AP, it says here millions of travelers were raided for their terror potential. Without their no- knowledge, millions of Americans and foreigners crossing U.S. borders in the past four years have been assigned scores generated by U.S. government computers rating the risks that the travelers are terrorists or criminals. So if you've gone across a border... Chances are good. You've got a terrorist rating. You've got a number. You've got a number. You know, something assigned as your potential. Now, I have been across the border in the last four years. Okay. Um, you have not? I have not. Not by an airplane. No. Travelers are not allowed. I wonder what my score is. I don't know. Mm, can't be good. Travelers are not allowed to see or directly challenge these risk assessments, which are government, which the government intends to keep on file for 40 years. <laughs> the government calls the system <laughs> critical to national security following the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks. Some privacy advocates call it um, one of the most intrusive, risky schemes yet mounted in the name of anti-terrorism efforts. How in the world are they determining these numbers? Um, I, I, you know, what are they doing with them besides data. putting them in a, in a database? <laughs> they're, they're determining them with data. Virtually every person entering and leaving the United States by air, sea, or land is scored by the Homeland Security Department's Automated Targeting System, or ATS. Goodness. Yep. The scores that sounds are, really safe. <laughs> right, the, based on the ATS's analysis of their travel records and other data, including items such as where they are from, how they paid for their tickets, their motor vehicle records, past one-way travel, seating preference, what kind of meal they ordered. Seating preference? Mm-hmm. So you're more likely to be a terrorist if you sit in Section A, something like that? Yeah, well, I, I wonder, do they look at criminal record? Because it doesn't seem like where they're doing you come, any of that. Can you go down that list again, the criteria? Yeah, where they're from. This is an automated program that just sort of scans these things in. This isn't done by a human being. How, they're paid, how they paid for their ticket, their motor vehicle records. So, if so, cash. Presumably, if you paid with cash, then you're in big trouble. Yeah, right? that doesn't sound good. Um, where you're from, I guess, if you're from the Middle East, that then you can be in trouble. Either, no. no. Okay. Past one-way travel. That's a bad thing, yeah. apparently, because only criminals travel one way. Seating preference and what kind of meal they ordered. So if you're a vegetarian, you might no. get uh, singled out. No, if you, you if you ask for no pork. Kosher? Yeah. Mm. The use of the program on travelers was quietly disclosed earlier this month when the department put a notice detailing ATS on, federal, on the Federal Register, a fine print comp- compendium of federal rules. The few civil liberties lawyers um, who heard of ATS and even um, some other law enforcement officers said they thought it was only used to screen cargo. The Homeland Security Department called the program one of the most 
advanced targeting systems in the world and said the nation's ability to spot criminals and other security threats would be critically impaired without access to this data. So what I'd like to know is how they're using it. Are they using it to determine whether or not you get the secondary search? Are they using it to determine whether or not you, uh, for instance, perhaps you aren't on the no-fly list, which last we heard had about 80,000 names on it. And like the no-fly list, you're saying that this is also a list that you cannot challenge, you cannot see. So you'll never know what your special terrorist number is. And even if you did somehow find out, it wouldn't matter because you wouldn't be able to actually contest it. Similar to the no-fly list, which you can also not challenge, even though, as we pointed out in the past, even though if you've been through airport security, been checked out, found out that you're okay, and have gone uh, gone through all of the rigmarole, you still can't get off of this no-fly list. You, you can, there are no strings to pull unless you are an ultra-connected you know, politician or something right. like that. I mean, that. if you were ordered a kosher meal, paid for your ticket in cash, decided to fly one way someplace... Um, you know, these just they just don't sound like out of the ordinary things. Maybe I think to myself, you know, I'll try a kosher meal. Yeah. What, you know, I mean, I've looked at the list of things that you can get on an airplane and none of them sounded really good. So I just got the regular meal. But, you know, I don't see why that's a big deal. Anyway, that's what they're looking at. Gover- government officials could not say whether ATS has apprehended any terrorists. Of course not. Based on all the information available to them, federal agents turn back about 45 foreign criminals a day at U.S. borders, according to Homeland Security's Custom and Border Protection spokesman. How um, He could not say how many were spotted by ATS, though. Homeland Security ought to fo- focus on the simple things it can do and, um, and stop trying to build these overly complex jury-rigged systems, said Barry Shinoff, American Civil Liberties Union lawyer. He's just a terrorist! <laughs> well, I I don't know. I mean, it's it's all very interesting. I, I guess you would expect them to look at uh, some of this information, but I, should somebody be turned back based on that? What Sorry. if I'm an American? And, I mean, am I going to be denied the ability to travel outside the United States? That's how it sounds. It's beginning to look that way with, uh, you oh, know... I'm sure they're looking at this. Uh, do you, don't you think they're looking at the number for domestic travel as well? I don't I don't know. I mean, if that number pops up, if you're buying a ticket and uh, that number pops up, that may just mean you get a secondary search when you're just traveling from point A to point B within the country. It could. The data mining project, now known as Secure Flight, caused a fear two years ago um, in Congress. Lawmakers barred its implementation until it can pass 10, ses- um, 10 tests for accuracy and privacy protection. In uh, comments from the government about ATS, Sobel said, some individuals will be denied, denied the right to travel, there you go. And, ma- and many the right to travel free of unwarranted interference. Mm. So, yeah, that does mean the, the secondary check. So, so you either aren't going to get to travel or you're going to get shakedown every time. Yeah. Sobel said the interview... Because um, you ordered some food. <laughs> right. Sat in the wrong place. Paid in cash. Mm-hmm. Sobel said in the interview that the government notice also raises the possibility that faulty risk assessments could innocent um, could cost innocent people jobs in uh, shipping or travel, government contracts, licenses, or other benefits. Not to mention, how many people on this no-fly list just can't fly? That's true. Now, how is it that um, how is it this is going to cost somebody a job? They're going to be able to cross-check on the terrorist well, che- terrorist. If I number? have trouble traveling, mm-hmm. um, then I'm going to lose my job. If oh, I, I see. If what I you travel, mean. I see. If you're a traveling salesperson and all of a sudden you can't travel anymore. Yeah. Got it. I mean, can you see that? If they're not going to let me outside the United States, it's part of my job to fly to Toronto and Winnipeg every once in a while. Then I'm going to lose that job. Well, you know, you should be happy, Mark, because you're helping stop terrorism. Yeah, I should be happy about that. 
The government notice says that some or all of the ATS data about um, any individual may be shared with state, local, and foreign governments for use in hiring decisions and in granting licenses, security clearances, contracts, or other benefits. In some cases, the data may be shared with courts, Congress, and even private contractors. What do you think about that? I can't say I'm surprised. It's They can share the data, but you can't see it. Right. Everyone else can. <laughs> I mean, it's nuts. Yeah, this this is really nuts. I mean, this is where we're go- this is where the country's been going ever since we uh, were given social security numbers back in the 30s. They said, "Oh no, these numbers won't be used for identification purposes." But you better believe your social security numbers tied into all this as well. Yeah, you know, the, it seems so strange to me. But the social security number—it's funny. I've got. Uh, a uh, situation with um, some lawyers that are just scrambling to get my social security number right now, and they're calling me daily. Mm-hmm. You gotta give me your social security number. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it it's funny. Why is it that they um, everybody needs this number in order to do business? You because can't have my social security number. We're Sorry. being you're being turned into a number. Yeah. And it's been happening for decades. And this is just the logical extension of it. Now you've got more numbers. Now you're not only are you social security number, that's just the identifying number that gets into your file. Then you get to find out what your terrorist assessment number is. And your other, however many other numbers they've put on you. Driver's license numbers. Driver's license numbers. Credit scores. Though I'm okay with, you know, credit scores. That's a, that's a okay. Yeah, that's a free um, market thing. But still, it's really disturbing. And there's more. You want to talk about more numbers? How about the registered traveler program? This one's going to involve you shelling out some numbers from your wallet to the TSA to get, well, essentially preferred treatment. You basically their preferred slave. We'll explain coming up here. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. You can take control of the airwaves. How do you feel about this terrorist score thing? It's your show, Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. You take control of the airwaves. Bring up whatever you want. Toll free 800-259-9231. The Packet 8 toll free lines. That's 1-800-259-9231. Packet8.net for all of your voiceover IP needs. And don't forget to join Free Talk Live online at freetalklive.com. We've got a listener map with 1,700 of our listeners from around the world that have added themselves to said listener map. You can be on it as well, or just scroll around the world and see who's listening to the show at map.freetalklive.com. That is map.freetalklive.com. And register now for the New Hampshire Liberty Forum, February 23rd through the 25th of 2007. Meet libertarian superstars like John Stossel, Michael Badnarik, and many more. The most influential libertarians in America will be there. That's freestateproject.org slash libertyforum for more information and to get registered. Freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. We're going to continue talking about so-called airport security and the newest program that the TSA or the Department of Homeland Security has created called the Registered Travel Program. Again, to supposedly protect us from those evil terrorists that are just out there lurking and Waiting. They're everywhere. But first, to the phones, to the fun. Rob in Georgia. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark on the Amplifier line. Hello, Rob. Hey, how's it going? Let me see your shoulder lane. Let let me see your shoulder lane. Now, that's what somebody called in. Is it lean or lane? It's shoulder lane. It's it's actually a song by an Atlanta rapper named Young Dro. It came out about eight months ago. It's a very catchy kind of dance tune. It's the sort of thing that... Folks around Atlanta really like to do, you know, everybody around here does lean with it, rock with it, snappy fingers, pool palace. Mm-hmm. Y'all don't know anything about that. No, we, we, no we certainly don't. <laughs> I thought you were a nerd. Didn't? Isn't that what the email said? He's a said? nerd rapper. I see. Hey, look, I was 
was a, I was definitely a nerd and still am, but when I got to college, I acclimated myself to my new environment. Mm-hmm. I see. <laughs> So, so, so now, uh, but, but, oh, yeah. now, but the person who called in and referenced this shoulder lean, we didn't know. We'd never even heard of this before. And I think you finally didn't. Didn't you go to Urban Dictionary and pull that pull that up? Who pulled that? Um, up? It's, somebody sent it to me. Okay. I, I wasn't cool enough to even be able to find it in the Urban Dictionary. Right, but that's because we thought it was shoulder uh, lane. shoulder lane, yeah, not well, shoulder lean. All we could come up with on the internet is the place where you pull over, yeah, <laughs> the side of the road. So uh, it was like. Yeah, it's it's let your shoulder lean. It's a dance. I see. So now, uh, yeah, I love the dances of today. They sort of they don't <laughs> resemble anything like the dances of yesterday. Um, not that I can dance anyway. I couldn't dance if you asked me to. But oh, neither can I for that matter. But I can do the shoulder lean. That's exactly that what fact, I mean. It, anybody can do the shoulder lean or the uh, what is it the, the the freak dancing they call it. What about the? Oh uh, yeah. That, that's part of the point of the song. He says, I can show the lean. I don't know how to dance, though. I mean, that's the whole point. <laughs> I see. So now, so the the person who called in was not calling from Georgia. Did this Georgia, the Atlanta area rapper, did he sort of hit it big with this song? Or Yeah, yeah, that song that song actually blew up. I mean, it, it was in Atlanta huge for about three months before it went national, but I started seeing it on BET and everything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, uh, his album probably, I know it went gold. I'm pretty certain it might have gone platinum. I think just about everything goes gold. Um, it, yeah, yeah. It's always it always feels good to be on the ground floor and know about these kind of things yeah. before everybody else, before the before the white talk show host. <laughs> right. Well, to know about uh, entertainment news before Ian and I really isn't any kind of accomplishment. No, certainly not. So, Rob, what else yeah. was on what else was on your mind tonight, sir? Well, I'm just talking about uh, my email that you read. Uh, you read it just fine, but during one of your comments, you said, you know, you know uh, my family didn't have indoor plumbing. That's a little misleading. Wait, now, somebody uh, didn't have indoor plumbing. Who was it? That would, that would be my cousin, which was only a couple doors down. Now, one of the things that happens in my area in Mississippi, the neighborhoods were very much segregated almost exclusively by race. It wasn't by race and class. It mm-hmm. was almost exclusively by race. So you might have two doors away from each other, one person who makes 10000 or $15,000 a year and somebody else who makes $80,000. Yeah, I've seen neighborhoods like that, and it's it's very interesting to see the yards. Um, you know, there's some yards that are just perfect, immaculate flowers, little fences, the whole thing. Other ones look like junkyards. I mean, there's no grass. Sure. There's stuff rusting on it. So what's it feel like to be a couple of uh, doors down from somebody who doesn't have indoor plumbing? I mean, that's got to make them feel really weird, doesn't it? I guess since since everybody had been in that same area for the longest time, everybody was kind of descended from slaves. I mean, it's, it just it, you grew up in that environment. It wasn't abnormal. It wasn't until I got to sure. Atlanta that I realized, hey, you know, my upbringing was kind of strange. <laughs> <laughs> so now, would your cousin actually come over so he could use your bathroom, or did he just step outside or something? I mean, was there like a shack oh, out no, back? Well, hey, well, when I used to go over there and uh, she would take care of uh, me, you know, while my parents were going out and doing whatever, it would be, you know, dig a hole, get a plank. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so there wasn't one. You had to dig a hole every single you know, time? I'm being I'm being mean here, but the fact is my, we had a family farm, and uh, this I was born in 71, and I this must be when I was, you know, 75, 76, 77. In Florida. In Florida. And uh, we... We had a ranch, I guess, a ranchette, ten, okay. a- 10 acres where we had cows and that kind of thing. And out there, we didn't have plumbing because it was, you know, it had a barn on it and some cows. It, right. it didn't have a house. Right. And um, there was there was a 
place to go to the bathroom um, that included, you know, a hole in the ground. So huh. I guess I'm not that far removed from this. So you did the same thing then? Yeah. We had a we had a home with an indoor plumbing, but we went to the ranch where the outdoor plumbing was. I see. And that's not that's not very dissimilar. I mean, when I went to her, house, and you got to understand now when you're when you're living in in uh, Tibby, Mississippi, two doors down could be quite a distance. <laughs> I see. Yeah, I got you. I see. It could be down the road a ways. Yeah. So, I, you know, and, and, of course, you know, things being very different then, I would go and, and walk down there. You know, it might be a mile away. I might have been six years old, but, you know, walking a mile when you're six, living in the country in Mississippi wasn't a big deal. So did people um, have jobs in the city, or did they uh, farm their land, um, raise livestock? What did they do there? You had different people do different things. So you had some people who raised livestock. Now, my parents were both uh, professionals. I mean, they were teachers. And the, uh, my, my dad just retired. My mom had already retired. And, you know, they were doing, I mean, quite well. I mean, you know, and my, my mother's father actually had owned a store and driven a milk truck. Where, and my mother's mother was a school teacher for like 36 years. Hence the indoor plumbing. Now, the, um, the store, was the store in the black section of town? Yeah, the store was in the black section of town. Was it, it was almost right in the same community? Was it almost completely patronized by black people? Yes. It's interesting how this is. Uh, w. E. B. Dubois was uh, really big into blacks need to start businesses and be on an equal footing with whites, and that's the only way they're ever going to get any respect. And I really have to. Agree. I agree. Uh, One hundred and fifty years ago. It's or unfor- like unfortunately, though, you've got government regulations that prevent all kinds of poor people, whites, blacks, Hispanics, from starting their own businesses and, and essentially, effectively keeping them down and keeping them out of the out of the business. Absolutely, and one of the things which which devastated. Uh, black communities actually was the manner in which integration occurred. You know, I'm a very, I'm a strong believer in integration, but I do not believe in forced integration. Absolutely. I don't believe that I, that I want to associate with anyone who does not wish to associate with me, and I don't want, if I don't want someone to associate with me, I don't want their company to be forced upon me. Yeah, it's just as bad. Forced integration is just as bad as forced segregation. And uh, it's a shame that that's the way the, the pendulum swung, because I think you're right. I think a lot of people were resentful of that, and uh, maybe they, it didn't allow them to sort of adjust on a natural basis uh, to people sort of slowly integrating. Rob, thank you for the call. We appreciate hearing from you as always, sir. 800-259-9231. That's the toll-free number. We're going to talk red, the registered traveler program, but since he called in, kind of like comparing then and now. You've got a related email, Mark, as to what it was like uh, 50 years ago compared to today. We'll explore that. Your calls as well about anything on your mind. 800-259-9231. You take control of the airwaves. It is your show, Free Talk Live. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp. FreeTalkLive.com. This is Free Talk Live, and it's your show. You bring up whatever you want, toll free, 800-259-9231. You can also join us on our website at FreeTalkLive.com. All of the features on the site are for free as well. And that includes an entire year's worth of archives right there, front page of the site, easily downloadable for your convenience at FreeTalkLive.com. All right. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. Um, Join us online. Join us via the phones. 800-259-9231. That's the Packet 8 toll-free lines. So we just got off the phone with Rob in Georgia. He was talking about growing up in uh, Mississippi. In the 80s. Yeah, I guess that was in the 80s. Yeah, uh, early 80s. um, And his 
cousin, cousin not having indoor plumbing. And so things certainly change over a, a number of decades, and you happen to have a related email. Yeah, I, you know, it's Friday, so it's time for a fun email. And this one's called uh, Changing Times. Scenario one. Jack pulls into his school parking lot with a rifle in his gun rack. In 1956, the vice principal comes over, takes a look at Jack's rifle, goes to his car, gets his own to show to Jack. <laughs> 2006, the school goes into lockdown. The FBI is called. Jack's hauled off to jail, never sees his truck or gun again. Counselors are called in for traumatized students and T-shirt. Teachers. Might as well add some terrorist charges to it while you're at it. Yeah, Jack, Jack will be lucky to ever see the light of day again. Mm-hmm. Scenario two. Johnny and Mark get into a fist fight after school. 1956, a crowd gathers. Mark wins. Johnny and Mark shake hands and end up best friends. Nobody goes to jail. Nobody arrested. Nobody expelled. 2006, police are called. SWAT team arrives. They arrest Johnny and Mark, charge them both with assault and expel, and both are expelled, even though Johnny started it. It's true. That's, that's true. I mean, if you get in a fight in school, it doesn't matter if somebody jumped you. You're getting, a, you're getting expelled. Chances You're getting are very suspended. Good. Yeah. If not expelled, suspended. Three. Um, Jeffrey won't uh, be still in class. He disrupts other students. 1956. Jeffrey's sent to the office and given a good paddling by his principal. Sit still in <laughs> class. <laughs> 2006. I don't agree with that. Per I, se. I don't agree with paddling. But, uh, let me predict. It's I a funny email. I haven't <laughs> actually read this email yet. Let me predict. Uh, dope him up. In 2006. Jeff, uh, 2006, Jeffrey given huge doses of Ritalin, becomes a zombie. School gets extra money from state because Jeffrey is now has a disability. <laughs> Four. Billy breaks a window in his father's car, and his dad gives him a whipping. 1956, Billy's more careful next time, grows up normal, goes to college, becomes a successful business person. 2006, Billy's dad's arrested for child abuse. Billy removed to foster care, joins a gang. Billy's sister is told by a state psychologist that she now remembers being abused herself, and her dad goes to prison. Billy's mom has an oh, affair gosh. with a psychologist. <laughs> I don't know if this how is far, funny. How far removed? This sounds accurate. <laughs> it's, well, it's funny because it's juxt- juxtaposed I against see. 1956. It's funny because it would have been so nice to have it not gone this way, I guess. But and, you has. know, it's, there's no guarantee that Billy's mom actually had an affair with a psychologist. <laughs> Five. Mark gets a headache and takes some headache medicine to school. 1956. Mark shares headache mes- medicine with the principal out on the smoking dock. 2006. Police called. Mark expelled from school for drug violations. Car um, searched for drugs and weapons. Car seized. Sounds about right. Scenario six. Mary turns up pregnant. 1956. Three high school boys leave town. Mary does her, <laughs> Mary does her senior, years at a, senior year at a special school for expectant mothers. 2006, middle school counselor calls Planned Parenthood, notifies the ACLU. Mary is driven to the next state and gets an abortion without her parents' consent or knowledge. Mary given condoms and told to be more careful next time. Yeah, sounds about right. I think that's a sensible approach. (laughs) Scenario seven, Pedro fails high school English. 1956, Pedro goes to summer school, passes English, goes to college. 2006, Pedro's cause is taken up by the ACLU. Newspaper articles appear nationally explaining that um, the teaching English is a requirement for graduation is racist. ACLU files class action lawsuit against state school system and Pedro's English teacher. English banned from core curriculum. Pedro given diploma anyway, but ends up mowing lawns for a living because he can't speak English. Scenario eight. Johnny takes uh, apart leftover firecrackers from the 4th of July, puts them in a model airplane um, paint bottle, blows up a red ant bed. 1956, ants die. 2006, 
BATF, Homeland Security, FBI called Johnny charged with <laughs> domestic terrorism. FBI investigates parents, siblings removed from home, computers confiscated. Johnny's dad goes on a terror watch list and is never allowed to fly again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I guess they're... They're just so... I can't find it funny. I'm imagining <laughs> them all being real. It's like they're, they're real news stories. Yeah. Number nine scenario. This is the last one. Johnny falls while running during recess and scrapes his knee. <laughs> He's found crying by his teacher, Mary. Mary hugs him to comfort him. 1956. In a short time, Johnny feels better and goes on playing. 2006. Mary's accused of being a sexual predator. Yeah. Loses her job. <laughs> faces three years in state prison. One eight hundred two five nine. The picture circulates the internet. Ninety two thirty one. Now you wonder. It's, speaking of kids and teachers and inappropriate touching and all that, you see so many stories today about teachers and and their students. And you know there was recently, I think, a story about an eleven year old boy and and his teacher who had her uh, had him touch his her breast, and she got in trouble, of course, for that. And any good reason. I don't know. Not a good reason. Wanted to teach him about the female form? I don't know. Anyway, it just makes me wonder, did teacher-student liaisons happen as often in 1956 and we just never heard about it? I mean, compared to today when it's the Information Society story pops up in Washington about a teacher doing something with a kid and it spreads all over the country within a matter of hours. I think it would be safe to say that it happened. Mm -hmm. But um, it does... It, it's just my imagination. This is just conjecture completely. But I imagine uh, America being more liberal sexually now than they were in 1956. And I wouldn't think that it happened as often as a result. I wonder about that. If you were uh, sexually involved with your teacher back in the 50s, give us a call. 800-259-9231. Somebody out there listening has been. The Packet 8 toll-free lines. 1-800-259-9231. To the airports again. And the new program that the Department of Homeland Security has created to give you preferential treatment. The Registered Traveler Program, as they're calling it, which is just cleared for deployment in the nation's airports, has nothing to do with security. And it's simply a way to pay $100 to cut to the front of the line. While 28 out of the approximately $100 fee goes to a security check performed by the Department of Homeland Security, there's actually no rational reason to do the check other than to make the program look like it's security-related. More, including why registered travelers... Uh, coming here. The program will is set to work like this. A traveler submits 10 fingerprints, a couple of optional iris scans, a digital photo, and personal information, including their social security number, to the government through one of the private groups running a registered traveler program. After the government runs a $28 background check and clears the person, the private company, so far only verified identity pass, has been certified to do this, so there's all of one private company's doing this, issues them a smart card. Then, after a traveler gets her boarding pass the normal way and heads toward the security checkpoint, she goes to a special line that has a kiosk. There, she has her fingerprints scanned and checked against the card, and if they match, she goes immediately to the front of the screening line. Then, she goes through screening just like everybody else, with her liquids in a bag, laptop out of its case, shoes off, etc. So, what's the point of a background check if all you get is a better place in the same line that you would have been without the card. Well, the point is, this is the preferred slave program, as I'm calling it. Hmm. Because we're all slaves to the government when we are traveling on airplanes. We have to jump through their hoops and do as they say. 
And this is just for the more wealthy slaves who don't like waiting in the lines, who are willing to pony up an extra $100 for the same lousy treatment. Except they just get to jump ahead in the line. That's what it is. And they get to turn over all their private and personal information to the federal government's database. I can see why somebody would want to skip line. I mean, if I traveled for a living, I sure. if you get stuck in – those lines stink. Um, I can see why somebody would want to do that. I, I Is it worth it giving up all your all your privacy in that way? I mean, I understand they still know who you are when you're traveling and everything, but all ten fingerprints? Iris scans? Which are optional at this point, yeah, but that well, could change. If you, don't, if you don't care if you give them up, then... 1-800-259-9231. Are you going to join the Registered Traveler Program, as they're calling it? Do you have a problem with this? 800-259-9231. I do. It's just one more step down the road towards this totalitarian, fascist state that we're living in, where everybody's giving up all their private, in, uh, private information to the government. That's a bit disturbing. More on the way. Your show, Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control of the airwaves. Toll free, 800-259-9231. The Packet 8 toll free lines. Packet8.net for all your voiceover IP needs. 1-800-259-9231. Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. Enjoy all the features there. They're all completely free. But do remember... That since we give away the website features for free, unlike those other radio talk show hosts, that, you know, we could use a little bit of voluntary support. Maybe you want to go and buy some Free Talk Live stuff, some Free Talk Live branded merchandise like Free Talk Live shirts and hats. And uh, there's a flag in there, classic archive DVD sets, all there at store.freetalklive.com. That is store.freetalklive.com. And Mark, you and I had been waiting eagerly to get our hands on our very own Free Talk Live garb because some of our listeners had been calling and emailing in this week just raving about the quality of the Free Talk Live merchandise. And we had yet to even see it because we were just waiting to get to the mailbox to uh, to go and pick up our package. We finally did today. And you're wearing some of it right now. Uh, I'm you... wearing the, uh, the the bowling shirt. And you've got the color block hat. I, I'm not sure what color block means, but I have the, That's what the it's hat called. with the, the white stripes on it. Right. And the uh, emblem. I gotta say, it looks sharp. I, I'd have to. I have to agree. Um, the, the the there's the bowling shirts. It's sweet. Um, yeah. And not poorly constructed. Yeah. For the price, it better not have been little, poorly little constructed. Little thin for winter weather, but uh, you know, wear a t-shirt. Yeah, I think it's I think it's excellent. Uh, I myself got the other style hat, sort of the regular style hat. That looks pretty good as well. Uh, there's also the now that the skull one's cap. fitted. It doesn't have the uh, adjustable that's velcro correct. strap. It's in kind that. of a one size fits all deal. And it's uh, it's a little the the front's a little stiffer, so it pops up. The emblem shows a little more. Mine's kind of the uh, the relaxed uh, floppy, relaxed fit, yeah, fl- floppy ball cap, which I prefer. Yeah, they, they're very nice. Um, both of them, very nice quality items. Not cheapy stuff. Now, you've got the Scully, too. I've got the Scully, which... God, that's nice. Yeah. I, I really wish I would have gotten that. They're that's really slick. The first, yeah, and, and the it t-shirt, fits perfectly, too. Yeah. The t-shirt, I should have gotten that, too. Yep. So, go head over there, and, well, you can still get them. Oh, I'm going to get them. Store.freetalklive.com. <laughs> You'll get them. Be patient. Uh, all right. I'm not good at that. So, we're talking about the, uh, the new program that the TSA, the Department of Homeland Security, have uh, just cleared for deployment, where you get to pay the... Pri- you have the privilege... Of paying a hundred dollars, now it's it's your option, of course. Paying a hundred dollars to be the preferred slave, as I'm calling it, to where you go through their little process, submit ten fingerprints, couple iris scans, digital photo, personal information, including your social security number. They then run a background check on you, and presuming you clear the check and 
You probably will for the $100, because really all they want is your money. You clear the check, and then you get to jump to the front of the security line. You don't actually get to go through the security line. You don't get to jump beyond the security line. You just go to the front of the line. Well, because you're the preferred slave, not like the rest of the slaves. You have to wait in line. The Celestrian writes, I, I know in California we have immigration checkpoints on Interstate 5 about 60 miles north of the border, and they have a fast track lane where you can pay X amount of money, register your vehicle with them, and probably sign over your soul in a dark rite involving the sacrifice of a sentient being to the mm-hmm. government. And you can bypass the checkpoint in a special lane. It's been in place for years. Yeah, it's all about money. That's really all it is. Backdoor tax. So then after a traveler gets her boarding pass the normal way, she heads towards the security checkpoint, goes to a special line that has a kiosk. Then she has her fingerprint scanned and checked against the card. If they match, she goes immediately to the front of the screening line. Then she goes through screening as normal. Um, So, but can't those with with the unfortunate name Robert Johnson or Ted Kennedy who keep getting snagged by watch lists join the registered traveler to avoid having to prove that they aren't the terrorists that the government is looking for every time they fly? Yes, they can join, but no, it won't make any difference. The systems, the two systems, don't touch at all. Some registered travelers will still not be able to print their boarding passes at home and will get the dreaded SSSS on their boarding pass, which is the secret code for extra screening. So, in short, the Registered Traveler Program is a program that lets people pay an annual fee of $100 <laughs> to cut into the front of the line. Annual fee yep, of $100. As, as I thought the, it was a one-time no, fee. No, come on. Make it annual, you make a whole lot more money. Yeah, as every for the, year. As for the background check, it's purely theater to make the public think that's the program's, uh, that the program is something other than a way for the well-off to avoid the hassles of post-9-11 air travel. Now, what is, what's the purpose of the background check? I mean, I don't think that I haven't read any stories where they're stopping. It's just for show. Killers from flying on airplanes. The purpose is for show, Mark. It's absolutely for show. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. There's no point in a background check. The TSA promises that the program won't slow down regular travelers, but that's plainly absurd. If it speeds up those willing to pay $100, it's going to slow down those unwilling or unable to do so. Plainly absurd. Since there are currently no plans to add special screening lanes for registered travelers. Uh, and, And it just goes on. And it's just amazing to me. I guess it's not amazing. I guess it's to be expected. The government, just a money-hungry organization, they've got power, they've got guns, and now they've come up with another way to make a few extra million bucks a year. And the thing is, is this wouldn't have worked in two, um, you know, prior to 2001. Wouldn't have worked because there wasn't this screening thing. They put this in place. 800-259-9231 to so the So they created themselves an industry. Yep. To the fun, to Mark in Las Vegas. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Yes. Hey, Mark, what's on your uh, mind? Actually, I want to share uh, a little uh, airport story. Uh, I flew on Tuesday. And, uh, by the way, yeah, clearly this has, you know, the government, the idea that the government provides security is uh, a perfect absurdity. In fact, let me just tell you this guy. You know, I walk around and uh, I have thyroid problems. I have hypothyroidism, mm-hmm. which is a pretty, you know, nasty problem to have. You know, it can affect you in all sorts of ways and, and uh that's something that started, you know, just posterior to me getting uh, these lovely anthrax shots, which the government, uh, you know, our loving government made me take. And so here, my health, you know, something as personal as my health has been compromised thanks to this government, because you know, I went and made the mistake of, you know, serving the emperor in the Marine Corps. Oops. And, uh, and then, the, the, you know, these 
bastard politicians want to turn around and act like they're securing us. If they were really interested in securing us, they'd have to shut their whole government down. They need to stop arresting themselves. You know, this government, That'd be nice. is biggest, this government is the biggest threat to security I can think of. So anyway, here's my, here's my flying story. Okay. Uh, I was, um, as I was going through uh, screening, uh, you know, put my bag, you know, down on the thing, and, and it goes through uh, the scanner thing, and, and uh, I go by, and, and I'm on the other side, and, and I'll tell you exactly, I had a small bag, and it was all I had. I didn't even have a, a check-in bag, but my carry-on bag. I had a portable DVD player, and inside a, a DVD that I put together with, get this, it, the almost hour-long speech Congressman Ron Paul gave June uh, 10th, 2003, we've been neoconned. That okay. was inside my DVD player. So I had my portable DVD player, I had my wallet, and uh, I had actually a pocket copy of the Constitution, which I, carry with me, which I carry with me wherever I go. You are a okay? potential terrorist carrying documents yeah, like yeah, that so, around. So, so I have some serious ter- terrorist contraband. Anyway, it, my, my bag goes through the, the, the uh, scanner. I, I, I wasn't flying for several, it was just, uh, I was flying Okay, to, so what uh, happened? Uh, so anyway, my bag goes through the scanner, and a TSA employee walks over, grabs my bag, and says, we got to search your bag. And before I could say anything, he uh, hauls uh, himself over to this other table and starts opening my bag. And I walked over there, and I said, dude, have you ever read the Fourth Amendment? Mm. <laughs> and, and, he sa- and, no. and he said, and he looks at the me, what? Uh, 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 parts of it, uh, not all of it. And I said, well, you're not following it. In fact, I have something inside there you're going to find. It's my pocket copy of the Constitution. I think you need to read that. The Fourth Amendment, buddy. And, and, wow. uh, and, and he pulls out this thing. It's this little thing that's supposed to react if they detect explosives and wipes that in my bag. Because he didn't find anything, right? And, and, uh, so then, you know, he, he, and then he walks away real fast. And there's a group of TSA employees standing nearby. And I walked over to him. And with my pocket copy of the Constitution in hand, and I had to open to the uh, Fourth Amendment page, and I said, uh, hey, you guys familiar with the Fourth Amendment? One of the guys says, oh, kind of, and the other lady says, oh, yeah, we know about the Fourth Amendment. <laughs> oh, gosh. And, and it, oh, it was just so evil, and I said, well, you guys don't follow it. Here, I take this so you guys can read this. And, and I handed him my pocket copy of the Constitution, and I took it, and I walked away. And, and you know what? Next time... I'm going to be faster, and I'm not going to let them search my bag. And, you know, I'll tell you what makes me what so What do you mean angry. you're not going to let them search your bag? They're going to tackle you if you don't. I, well, and then I won't fly. I'll just be like, because, you know, I have a serious problem. With, and I'll tell you what, what makes me more angry than anything, guys. Hmm. These stupid Americans, when I talk to them, they're like, oh, it's for our safety. Were you, we talk, were you talking to people that day? Did they, somebody say something to you? Yeah, I brought up my story, and they're like, oh, it's for our safety. You know, we got to give up all our rights so yeah. our doesn't get us. It's like giving you a They're good little here's citizens. What people, here's what people are not understanding. Excellent example. Excellent way to illustrate this. you got 20 police, seconds to do it. The police chief of Houston wanted to put government cameras in everybody's homes, right? Yep. Well, there's, people can already put cameras in their own homes. There's <laughs> yeah. a difference between a government putting a camera in their home and your own camera. Well, as we said at the time, and thank you for the call, the police chief should lead by example by putting cameras in every single one of the rooms of his home and then linking them to the Internet so everybody can log in to make sure that he's behaving. 800-259-9231. Hour 2 is coming up. This is Free Talk Live. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. 
Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. We're kicking off Hour 2, Friday edition. Your show. You take control. Bring up whatever you want. Toll free, 800-259-9231. Known as the Packet 8 toll-free lines. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. Enjoy all the features there because they're completely free. You know those other radio talk show hosts want to charge you for access to their features? We give it all away. Free Talk Live. Dot com as we go to the phones to the fun. It is Brandon in Japan. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hello. How you guys doing? Or Konnichiwa, as I believe they say. That is correct. Actually, around this time, we say Ohio Gozaimas. Oh, can you run that so, by me one more time? Sure. It's Ohio Gozaimas. Ohio Gozaimas. And what is that? Merry Christmas? <laughs> no, that, Merry Christmas is Merry Christmas. That's a uh, good morning. Ah. It's morning time? Why, yeah, why is that a good morning around this time of year, but not other times of the year? He said uh, around this good time. Good morning this time because it's 10 o'clock in the morning over here in Japan. Ah. Hey, we're the morning show there, Mark. But uh, hold on. It, on, tele, on the telephone, you say mushy mushy, though. Yes. Okay. What's that mean? Correct. Another way to say uh, It's kind of like hello. Ah, gotcha. So we, we are a bunch of geniuses. Yeah, you know what? You learn something new every night here on Free Talk Live. So what's on your mind tonight, sir? Hey, the reason I wanted to give you guys a call, one, is because it's been a couple months since I've called, and two is because I wanted to talk about this uh, preferred traveler program from the TSA. Okay. And Mark already brought up a couple of my points. Um, I used to live in California, and before I moved to Japan, um, around Oceanside and then Riverside, about 60 miles north of the border, we had fast tracks at the border checkpoints. Wait a second. Um, not really Brandon, wait, wait a second, Brandon. Is that the gong for the Shinto temple that's uh, going off behind you? What's, ha- what's happening there? No, that's a telephone, because I'm in the teacher's room here. Okay. Okay, so, so fast tracks. Um, yeah, so we have, we have fast track lanes in California, and if you, you know, if you pay money and you register your car and you know, give a copy of your driver's license and I'm sure a whole bunch of other personal information, they have a special lane for you. And so when I heard about the, the preferred traveler program for the TSA, this isn't really anything new. Um, but the point that I wanted to bring up that hasn't been brought up yet is if you think that the government collecting this information is just for show to make you feel better, um, I would encourage you to think again because what's going to happen is if you have a lot of people do this program, because if you don't do this program, then you could spend another hour, another two hours um, constantly being pushed into the back of the line. Well, right, because if a bunch of people come in, again, the, just to recap the program, you pay X amount of dollars a year, in this case 100 bucks a year, and you get bumped to the front of the line at the airports. But you, what you're saying is, if you're standing in line as somebody who hasn't paid the $100 a year, and 50 people roll into the airport that have paid it, they just all jump right into the line in front of you. You could be waiting for, I mean, who knows how long before you finally get through, depending on how many, but depending on the influx of and how many of these people... There are. Right, absolutely. And so basically what they're doing is they're setting up an economic disincentive for you not to join this program. So you have a whole bunch of people now join this program, and so now there's this huge database of travelers that have 10 fingerprints, a couple iris scans, a digital photo, and a social security number. 
if people think that the government is going to go, oh, well, wait a minute, this is just for traveling. We can't touch that. Mm-hmm. I would say think again, because the government's going to look at this and go, hey, check this out. We've got this huge informational database. You're right. The, the article itself, travel internationally. Brandon, the article itself admits that the government plans on distributing the information to, uh, to police agencies, to even private contractors. So they're already talking about handing out this information like it's candy. Right, absolutely. So, you know, it's just another example of, you know, the government invading your privacy, invading your security. And, you know, this is a government that we've already seen that if you live overseas or you correspond with people overseas, which affects me directly because I'm calling from Japan and when mm-hmm. I send you guys emails, I'm doing it from another country. So I have to be very careful not to use the words chemical, bomb, and dirty in the same email right. because that might be red flagged. So, you know, when they're saying, well, this is just going to be, you know, it's just going to be this kind of information, I think, I think that travelers definitely need to speak up about this. And Yeah, they're not going to be speaking offered, up about it. I can tell you what the travelers are going to do. They're going to be ponying up. They're going to be saying, whoa, wait a minute. Somebody's going to be standing in the line, and who knows how they're going to promote this. I don't know if they're going to have posters up at the airport or hand out flyers or something like that. Not sure what their promotional vehicle is going to be to get people on board with this. But you can bet that when people start cutting in line and the TSA are allowing it, people are going to start asking questions. Hey, how come that guy cut in line? Well, all you have to do is pay us $100, and then you can cut in line too. I mean, to, to really show how absurd this idea is, what would happen if everybody bought one of these passes? Whoops, then it's just completely right. worthless, and now everybody's got your information. Absolutely. It's pretty and scary well, stuff. I guess one of the, yeah, one of the, the, the final point I'll make before I go is one of the other things that I really don't like about this and I don't like about fast-track stuff is in a very real way, which is in an economic way, we are further striding our country into first-class and second-class citizens. Mm. Those people who have more money are deemed better people by our government. Yeah, the haves so and the have-nots. Have Right, and so when you have that situation, you automatically put the have-nots or the people who are not as good in a worse position where the government says, oh, well, you know, you couldn't afford this, so we can't trust you. Thank you for the call, Brandon. Great points. Appreciate it. 1-800-259-9231, the Packet 8 toll-free lines. Pretty disturbing. I think he's absolutely right on all of that. It's kind of funny, the uh, whole email thing. I mean, if you got an email about uh, Chemical Fred and his, uh, you know, hot new album, uh, you know, Dirty White Boy, uh, it's the bomb, you'd be in big trouble. They may make it, it may, it may end up being a situation where if you're just the average traveler, somebody without the preferred card or the preferred pass or whatever it's going to be, then you're going to have to get to the airport another hour in advance simply because there's so many people that have decided to buy the preferred cards. You can bet that the business travelers, those people that are right. really on the planes all the time, time challenged, time sensitive, they're going to be the first ones in line for this program. So for virtually everybody who uses planes for businesses are going to be, uh, business is going to be profiled. Uh, rich people, of course, are going to jump on board. They can afford it. It's not a problem. Probably upper upper middle class people who don't want to be inconvenienced, they're going to jump on board as well. Middle class people are probably going to scrape it together and, and make it happen. And uh, I think he's absolutely right. It's absolutely going to increase the divide uh, between Americans of different class systems and going to make, make people very angry. It doesn't, yeah, it seems like a bad idea. Well, 1-800-259-9231. Another international call coming in from Liam in Sweden. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hello, Liam. Hi. I uh, just wanted to bring up two things. I just thought I'd mention that Denmark now uh, next country to ban smoking. Entirely? Yeah. Uh, any business uh, 
Bars that are less than 120 square feet are exempted for some reason. 120 square feet? That's smaller than the studio we're in right now. Yeah, uh, they do have a lot of small bars of that size, but it's still, you know. Wow. The main thing for me is I go to a lot of concerts in Copenhagen, and so all the concert venues will now be smoke-free. Oh, my goodness. That doesn't sound like uh, it's going to be very successful. I mean, when you go to a concert, people want to... Is it outdoors, too? What if it's an outdoor venue? Uh, it's the, the indoor portion of any workplace. I see. So every workplace except bars smaller than 120 square feet. Right. So what are your friends yeah, in, uh, what are your friends saying about this? I mean, are people sort of resigning themselves to it? Like, okay. Yeah, there was this study, apparently something like 68% of smokers support the ban, which doesn't really make any sense That's to bizarre. me. bizarre. Smokers never stand up for, they never stand up for themselves. Damn, they just go, aw, shucks. Yeah, it's the same, it was the same or way here in New Hampshire last year. Maybe, maybe this will help me quit. What, what, Please. what about me? I don't want to quit. Liam, any other thoughts? Uh, yeah, I thought I'd ask some advice. Since I'm uh, flying to New York City next week, I'm wondering uh, which T-shirt I should try to wear when boarding the airplane. <laughs> I've got one uh, Gun Owners of New Hampshire T-shirt. Um, then I've got one other T-shirt with the Thomas Jefferson quote, uh, like the lot, what is it, uh, as the size of government grows, liberty decreases. Hmm. Um, then I've got one shirt that just says libertarian. I don't know. I, I kind of like the Jefferson quote. What, do you, what about you, Mark? I like the yeah. I'm I'm for choice B also. Now, where are you where are you traveling to uh, in America? Uh, New York City, and then I'm gonna take the bus up to New Hampshire. That's fantastic. That's like, isn't that your second trip to New Hampshire in in, in an entire year? Uh, yeah, I was there in July. Man, you need, you need to save all your money from uh, from these trips and just actually move permanently if you can get a you can get it together. Yeah, if I can just find an under-the-table job or get a, actually get a green card. I wish like I had that. that job to offer you, but I don't. But uh, good luck poking around and finding one, because uh, we'd rather have you here than over there. Thanks for the call, Liam. We appreciate it. Good luck with your trip. 800-259-9231. He's hooked on this New Hampshire thing. Good for him. Internationally traveling twice in a year just to come over here and hang around. You take control of the airwaves. On the way, the McDonald's strip search. We'll give you the details. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up whatever you want, toll-free, 800-259-9231. That's the Packet 8 toll-free lines, 1-800-259-9231. Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All of the features on the site are completely free, so enjoy those. And that does include the bulletin board system. Over 140,000 posts, over 1,300 people interacting. Lots of different topics there. Fun stuff, uh, serious issues. You'll find it all discussed at BBS. .freetalklive.com, bbs.freetalklive.com, and Free Talk Live is brought to you by the Free State Project's First 1,000 Pledge. Are you just going to talk about freedom, or are you going to start living it now? Learn how the First 1,000 Pledge can make it happen today at freestateproject.org. That is freestateproject.org. Now, we're going to do a follow-up here, Mark, on a story that we talked about, I guess, probably about two years ago now at this point, maybe a year and a half or so. It was a pretty shocking story that really is telling of authority and Americans' deference to it. I know which one you're talking about now. McDonald's is where it took place, and according to ABC News, they've really got the details. We talked about it before, and we sort of had an idea of what happened, but now you're going to get into, uh, we're going to get into exactly what occurred here. It was a shocking story and the unbelievable surveillance video that riveted the nation. A young McDonald's employee humiliated, forced to strip 
and then to perform a sexual act in the back office of the store during her workday. This horrifying ordeal changed one woman's life forever and put one man on trial, accused of masterminding a bizarre and elaborate hoax. If convicted, David Stewart faced 15 years in prison on charges ranging from solicitation of sodomy to impersonating a police officer. Louise Ogborn was always willing to take on extra shifts at McDonald's in Mount Washington, Kentucky. Ogborn's mother had, had uh, health problems and had recently lost her job, so the 18-year-old did whatever she could to help make ends meet. On April 9, 2004, Ogborn offered to work through the restaurant's evening rush trying to be helpful and make a few extra dollars. She said, I was just going to eat and then clock back in and help out until somebody else came along that could help. But Ogborn couldn't have known that her noble gesture would turn into an, a terrifying ordeal that she says will haunt her for the rest of her life. Ogborn was called into assistant manager Donna Summers' cramped office and told that Summers was on the telephone with a police officer. She said... Who told her it was raining men? No. Oh. He, uh, she said, here she is. This is the girl you described, said Ogborn. She told me to shut the door. Summers told Ogborn that the officer on the phone had their store manager on the other line and that he had described her and accused her of stealing a purse from a customer. Ogborn said, I was like, Donna, I've never done anything wrong. I could never steal. I could never do anything like that. I, I don't have it in me. But inside the back office, which had now become an interrogation room, Ogborn's protests fell on deaf ears. She said, well, they said it was a little girl that looked like you in a McDonald's uniform, so it had to be you. It was Ogborn's word against the accusation of a man claiming to be a cop. And that's what this all hinges on, by right. the way. The authority that cops supposedly have and how, how Americans will just bend over for whatever it is they say. Even if they don't even have any proof that it's a cop. In this case, all this was was a guy on the phone. <laughs> it's kind of funny and sad and... Just telling all at the same time. Yes, the manipulation here is uh, very telling and very brilliant and very, very uh, sleazy and sneaky all at the same time. Here's what happened. So she's called back into the back office, told there's a cop on the phone, and then she was given a choice. Either submit to a search, because again, the allegation was that she stole a purse, or be escorted to the police station. By whom? By a cop who was going to be coming there. Oh, the cop's coming. Mm Mm-hmm. So you're now 18 years old. This just shows how scared somebody is. Right. You're 18 years old. You've never been in trouble with the law before. And now there's a cop on the phone accusing you of, of, uh, of stealing somebody's purse. You're being threatened with possibly going to jail. What do you do in that case? Well, you take off your clothes. That's what she did. Ogborn was told to empty her pockets and surrender her car keys and cell phone, which she did. Then the caller demanded that Summers have Ogborn remove her clothes, even her underwear. Oh my! Leaving her with Looking just for a purse. Leaving her with just a small, dirty apron to cover her naked body. Summers says she never second-guessed what she was being asked to do, as she firmly believed that the person she was talking to was a police officer. Ogborn says she trusted her manager to do what was right. So do you see this sort of hierarchy of authority here? This abdication of responsibility mm. is what this is. I mean, at the same time, yes, I see authority. It, it, you know, it, it can be hard. It can be scary. I, I, I felt fear when uh, you gave the alternatives. Either submit to the, uh, the, the strip search or get escorted to the police station. Right, and you've got um, essentially people who are not... Uh, 
used to dealing with the police on a regular basis, just average folk here running this McDonald's. So the, the manager, Ms. Summers, was on the phone with a guy who sounded very authoritarian, probably sounded very rough and tumble, like a police officer might sound. He had information about one of the employees. He probably had the name of the store manager. And so he had all these little details that, one plus two plus three equals seven, apparently, and so they decided to uh, go through with this without really thinking about it. And yes, one plus two plus three doesn't equal seven, but they didn't realize to question this person any more than they did. And since the, the store manager didn't realize to question this guy, the employee, the 18-year-old girl, didn't realize to question the store manager. Because she must be right. He's a police officer. It's the manager. She's telling me he's a police officer, so it must be a police officer. Well, all these people abdicated their responsibility. Yes, they did, and it's a shame. He takes... Uh, so, because it was a Friday night, Summers had to leave the office to check on the restaurant. The man on the phone then demanded that another employee be left to watch Ogborn until the police arrived, and Summers chose 27-year-old Jason Bradley. He, Bradley, takes the phone, and they're telling him to have me do certain things and drop the apron, she said. He wouldn't have any part of it. Bradley walked out in disgust, leaving Summers with no one to watch Ogborn. Then the <laughs> caller made an odd request, asking Summers to call her fiancé to have him watch the girl. Summers says she did as she was told. Wow. Quote, I honestly thought he was a police officer, and what I was doing was the right thing. I thought I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. You see, just because a police officer tells you to do something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do, even if it really was a police officer. And in this case, it wasn't. But even if it was. Surveillance video shows Ogborn then broke down in tears. Within 15 minutes, Summers' fiancé, Walter Nix, entered the office where Ogborn tugged at the small apron that barely covered her top and exposed her legs up to her buttocks. Again, Summers says she didn't question the caller and completely trusted her fiancé to be left alone with the girl. Ogborn says she wanted to run, but that, it w but that it would have been too humiliating to run through the restaurant while naked. Yeah, absolutely. Nix, a 43-year-old exterminator, began following the caller's commands, ordering Ogborn to drop her apron, bend over, and stand on a chair. Then, as ridiculous as it sounds... He told her to do jumping jacks so as to shake loose anything she might be hiding. Oh, my God. Ogborn says that was just the beginning of what was two more hours of torment. Holy crap. Two yeah. hours? See, we didn't know about all these details when we first talked about this story. It was outrageous enough as it was just the idea that a police officer, so-called police officer on the phones just making claims and demands could get people to jump through these hoops and do these very potentially embarrassing and uh, psychologically damaging things to themselves. There's more to this story, as you might imagine here. 800-259-9231. The powers of authority revealed here. It's Free Talk Live. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you take control. Bring up anything. 800-259-9231, Friday edition. Ian here with you. And Mark. That's the Packet 8 toll-free lines. 1-800-259-9231. Join us on our website 
at freetalklive.com. All of the features on the site are completely free, and that does include the Shrine of Female listeners, dozens and dozens of ladies who've sent us their validated photo to prove they listen to the show. You can see what I mean by heading to shrine.freetalklive.com. That's shrine.freetalklive.com. Talking about a very disturbing story uh, happening at what could have been your local McDonald's or maybe your local business. Perhaps you're a business owner and uh, you've got some younger employees. Imagine how you would feel if a police officer called up your business and claimed that he had a, a one of your customers who'd come to, come into the business earlier had claimed that their purse had been stolen and had identified somebody that resembled one of your employees. The police officer then proceeds to order you to order this individual into the back room, have them strip naked for the allegedly for the purposes of finding whatever it was that they allegedly had stolen, and then things get even more progressively bizarre from there. I I don't think that I would do it. I, I just can't imagine me accepting that. You know, look, cop, if you, you come to, down here, you want to do some cop stuff to this yeah. girl. You just go ahead and bring your butt down here. I can't imagine me accepting it either. Oh, I can't imagine you accepting it for a second. Um, but but the fact is, there are people who would accept it. Yeah. As the and Stan, as the Stanley Milgram uh, obedience to authority study had showed years and years ago, classic psychology experiment. We should probably pull that up just to reference the, the details on it. But it, it's essentially showed that Americans and people in general are very responsive to who they believe are authority figures. In this case, the McDonald's manager believed that the man on the phone was a police officer. Did she have any real concrete evidence of the fact that he was a police officer? No, none whatsoever. Just him sounding authoritarian on the phone, making demands of her as though he was. And that was good enough to get her to uh, to have this 18-year-old girl come into the back room, take off her clothes. Then the manager had to leave for a little while, so she called her 43-year-old exterminator, uh, I, I guess boyfriend, uh, fiancé, to come in there and watch over the girl. Well, he gets on the phone with the so-called cop, and then the cop starts giving him orders to give the girl. And he obediently follows the orders. Now, of course, maybe part of the reason why he continued to follow the orders was because he already had a naked 18-year-old girl who is a fairly attractive young lady. Uh, we were watching some of the video footage from this. Maybe he was just a salivating 43-year-old perv and just decided, hey, there's a cop on the phone telling me to do all these things to this girl. Okay, sure, whatever. I'm just following orders, which, as you'll hear, are the excuses that the individuals gave and uh, for their defenses in this case. I believe that um, these people d really did believed that it was a cop on the phone. I can't imagine for a second that they didn't. Um, and I think that... Oh, really? Well, let's get into to what they had this man do. Okay. Would a police officer, uh, as ridiculous as it sounds, a star he started by telling her to do jumping jacks as to shake loose anything she might have been hiding. Ogborn says, this Ogborn's the girl, says that was just the beginning of what was two more hours of torment. The demands then became more and more bizarre. When Ogborn says that she failed to address Nix as sir, the caller tells him to hit her violently on the buttocks over and over. Over. Oh, my God. You still think that uh, that you possibly, possibly a police officer would be giving these sorts of orders? I, I... At one point on the video, remember, all of this caught on surveillance. At one point, Ogborn was spanked for almost ten full minutes. God. 
That's crazy. Quote, he told me I was asking too many questions, so he was told to hit me, she said. I just said, please don't do this. By the end, red welts could be seen on the woman's body. During it all, Summers periodically came back to the office, and each time Nick's threw the apron at Ogborn, telling her to stay quiet. Ogborn says, I begged her every time she came into the room, get me out of here, please get me out of here. Oh my God, this is crazy. Ogborn says even sh- uh, she even asked the assistant manager to call the police, but each time she says Summers told her, no, we're still waiting for the cop. Because the so-called cop on the phone made the claim that he was on his way down there. Right. Summers denies Ogborn ever asked her to call the police or that the girl pleaded, uh, even pleaded with her. Man, this is tragic. Ogborn Weird. says that after more than three hours of dehumanizing treatment, Nix, again on the instructions of the caller, forced Ogborn to perform a sexual act. Now remember, the allegation was that Ms. Ogborn had stolen somebody's purse. Why we need to be spanking her on the buttocks or have her perform a sexual act doesn't even fit the paradigm at all. Well, she's got to confess. we got to get her to confess. The caller then told Nix to hand the phone back to Summers and instructed her to bring in someone else. This time, she had Thomas Sims, a 58-year-old maintenance man who worked at the restaurant, get on the phone with the caller. But Sims refused to comply with the caller's strange demands. Tom told me, this man is asking for her to drop her apron so I can see her for the apron, she recalled. And I said, do what? Summers frantically called her manager, Lisa Siddons, who the caller claimed had been on the other line all along. But when Siddons answered her phone, she said she'd been sleeping. It was then that Summers finally realized that she'd been had. And she had been had. I really believe that Summers, at the very least, had been had. I don't know. That fiancé and the butt-smacking, is that's really something. This after three hours. Wow. When Mount Washington Police Detective Buddy Stumpf... When the real cop arrived, uh, Buddy Stump arrived at the restaurant, he had Nick's arrested and began the process of trying to figure out who the caller was. Now, who's who's Nick's? Nick's, Nick's was, was the fiancé. Fiancé was arrested. The weird dude that just happened to, you know, she called him to come in and he started spanking her buttocks. The first thing I thought about was maybe this has got to be somebody on a payphone, maybe over at uh, the grocery store, and they're getting their jollies off of watching all of the action and the police roll in. Thanks to an internet search by the chief of police, Stump discovered the calls have been going on for more than 10 years. Ogborn, it turns out, was only the latest in a long line of victims. After McDonald's employee used the Star 69 feature to get a telephone number for the caller, Stump learned that the call had been made from a supermarket payphone in Panama City, Florida. Stump discovered that the call was made with an AT&T member. This uh, restaurant was in Kentucky. Stump discovered a pretty expensive prank call. Yeah, that the call was made with an AT&T calling card, and upon learning that uh, the biggest seller of those cards in Panama City is Walmart, he contacted local police for help. It turns out that the Panama City Police Department had several uh, received several calls about investigations in multiple states for similar incidents. At a McDonald's in Hinesville, Georgia, the caller convinced a 55-year-old janitor to do a cavity search of a 19-year-old cashier. While in Fargo, North Dakota, a manager at a local Burger King strip-searched a 17-year-old female employee. Wow. In Phoenix, a caller had a Taco Bell manager pick out a customer and strip-search her. <laughs> That's great. And you think you're going <laughs> to... If you think you're going to strip-search me because I, I walked into your fast food restaurant, you are out of your 
ever-loving mind. Police in Massachusetts had been looking for a man who called three Wendy's restaurants near Boston in a single day. Stump was put in touch with Vic Flaherty, a detective in West Bridgewater, Massachusetts, investigating the Wendy's calls. Now, Flaherty told Stump he had traced the card's purchase to the exact time the caller bought it, but as luck would have had it, the security cameras were pointed toward the front doors at the time, not the registers, and therefore didn't capture the sale. Detectives then caught a break when they say they, uh, when they, say they discovered the calling card used in the Kentucky incident was purchased at a different Walmart than the one at the Massachusetts case. This time, the cameras in the store were trained on the cash registers. Well, as it turns out, the man they caught was from the Corrections Corporation of America. Oh. A private prison company that runs a jail in Panama City. Yeah, they. I, I think I actually owned some stock from them at one point. The warden identified the man in the video as one of his prison guards, 38-year-old David Stewart. According to the police, the search of Stewart's trailer revealed guns, para- a police paraphernalia, and training manuals. Police also discovered that Stewart had attended a local police academy and even volunteered as a deputy with a small police department in western Florida. So this man was on his way towards becoming a uh, real-deal police officer. Mm. It's like a sigh of relief, said Flaherty, this is the detective. He said, it's been a long time, and now you actually have a name to a face. David Stewart was extradited to Kentucky and charged with solicitation of sodomy, as well as impersonating a police officer, and he promptly pleaded not guilty. So, what happened in this case? What happened to David Stewart? What happened to uh, the people that spanked the girl and uh, had her take off all of her clothes? Who I got in know. trouble here? 800-259-9231. We'll finish the story coming up and take your calls on authority and Americans' deference to it at 800-259-9231. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control. Bring up anything toll-free, 800-259-9231. The Packet 8 toll-free lines. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All of the features on the site are completely free. Uh, enjoy them. Because those other radio talk show hosts want to charge you for access to their websites. We do it all for free, including archives, updates, live streaming, trying to female listeners, and more. Though we do ask that you voluntarily buy some stuff at Amazon.freetalklive.com. Now, Amazon, of course, as you know, the world's largest Internet retailer, 35 categories of products for you to shop from, including gift certificates. So, hey, it is that holiday shopping season. People buying stuff all over the place. Don't leave. You don't even have to leave your house. Just go to Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com and get all of your holiday shopping done. I mean, I can't imagine that there'd be something you want that wouldn't be at Amazon. They have so much. And when you order through Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com, not only do you get great prices, great free super saver shipping deals on a lot of items, but you also feel good because you helped Free Talk Live. A percentage of your purchase goes to help Free Talk Live. Mark, I checked the statistics last night for November. Our listeners ordered over 230 products through Amazon, uh, Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com, totaling over $8,000 in sales. Wow. Which is fantastic. Yeah, that's great. And that's just November. I'm hoping that we're going to have an even bu- um, busier December. Considering it's be a busy Christmas season. for Free Talk Live. Right. So it doesn't matter if what you need is just a few things for your bathroom or a whole bunch of gifts for your extended family. Head over to Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com and get your holiday shopping done. Now, we're talking about authority in America and how it is that, um, and I'm, I'm sure this applies worldwide, but the story happens to come from Kentucky as well as other places in America where a mysterious man on a phone call, a, a caller to a McDonald's, asked or demanded, I suppose, presented himself as a police officer, 
then demanded that the manager bring a young, attractive brunette into the back office, 18-year-old girl, have her strip her clothes off. Why? Well, because she allegedly had stolen a customer's purse. This was the man's story, at least. And the McDonald's manager fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. This guy's a pro. He's done it multiple times, right, apparently. He's in Massachusetts, allegedly. North Dakota, Florida. Yeah, he's called Variety of Restaurants. I can't believe that people just... I, the, the, it's it's one thing to get this one gal to fall for it, but over and over? It, it, he must be somebody who studied psychology, somebody who understands uh, the uh, the effect of authority on average people. People are very deferent to it. They will follow the orders of somebody who they perceive as an authority figure, whether or not they actually are. And we'll talk about the Milgram study here in a little bit. It backs all of this up, all of the things that we're saying here. But the message, of course, tonight, beyond telling you a very disturbing story, is please question authority. Get into the habit of questioning authority. Because if you don't, you might become one of the people involved in something like this. Now, just to recap, they brought this young girl, 18-year-old girl in the back office, had her strip her clothes off, had her do jumping jacks, had her get up on the chair and bend over so one of, uh, so one of the guys could spank her on the buttocks. This guy was, uh, the guy we're talking about, was the boyfriend of the manager of the store who she called in at the request of the so-called cop on the phone to keep an eye on this girl. Well, when he was keeping an eye on her, the caller on the line, who again was supposedly a cop, ordered the man to do all kinds of demeaning and degrading things to her. And he did. So what happened? Well, they found out who the caller allegedly was, 38-year-old David Stewart, a employee of the Corrections Corporation of America. He's a, uh, essentially a, a, a corrections officer. Right. Uh, anyway, and he was working towards becoming a real police officer as well. Now, they extradited him to Kentucky, charged him with solicitation of sodomy, impersonating a police officer, and he pleaded not guilty. Clinical psychologist Jeff Gardier says the caller's actions were likely a way to feed a godlike complex by manipulating his victims emotionally, physically, and sexually. He calls it virtual voyeurism. Gardier goes on to say that it was no accident that the caller was targeting fast food restaurants. Everything's by the book, he explained. This is how you serve it. This is exactly how you do it. You follow the book and you're okay. I believe he picked fast food restaurants because he knew once you got them away from that book, once it was something outside of the manual or the procedures, they would be lost. And I don't think that's fair. I think that anybody who's... Uh, anybody would have been subject to this. Anybody who's not used to questioning authority would have been subject to this. It well, wouldn't have mattered if it was a Kmart, a Walmart, a, uh, res a an upper-class restaurant. I'm, I'm not saying that every employee of a, of a fast-food restaurant's dumb, but I think that dumb helps a little in this, this circumstance. Nix was sentenced in March. Nix was the older gentleman who came in at the request of his girlfriend, who was the manager of the store, sentenced to five years in prison. Oh he, my pleaded, God. he pleaded guilty to sexual abuse, sexual misconduct, and unlawful imprisonment. Remember, he kept this girl in this room at the behest of the man on the phone. So he's in trouble now. Yeah, you know, the funny thing is, is I must, at some, to some level or another, um, I must believe this whole, that people abdicate their, you know, that the, at their, their responsibility is somewhat abdicated because I don't feel like he should have gotten as bad of a sentence because somebody told him to do it. Donna Summers was fired after the incident. She was charged with unlawful imprisonment and was sentenced to probation after entering an Alford plea, a type of guilty plea in which a person doesn't admit guilt but does acknowledge that evidence is sufficient for a conviction. Right. She broke off her engagement to Mr. Nix after viewing the surveillance tapes. In a statement, McDonald's said, quote, We take this matter very seriously and through our training... 
try very hard to warn employees about such schemes. Indeed, their training manual does include a section that cautions employees that, quote, no legitimate law enforcement agency would never would ever ask you to conduct such a search. But none of the employees that Primetime spoke with at the Mount Washington McDonald's says they recall seeing the warning. Well, lots of people don't read their manuals. Just because they don't read their manual doesn't mean McDonald's... I don't think McDonald's is responsible here. I agree with you. The individuals are responsible. McDonald's doesn't have anything to, shouldn't have anything to do with this. I mean, I think it's sad, but I think Miss Summers is responsible. I think it's sad. I think Mr. Nix is responsible. Um, and, and the caller. Uh, hold on. I think the girl's responsible, too. Well, for following the orders? Yeah, she followed... She was scared. Look, She's a scared little girl. No, I understand. Now you're, now you're allowing her to abdicate her responsibility. She's... 18 years old. Would she have taken her clothes off for anybody else? I think not. Well, okay, so if there was a police officer there, should she have taken her clothes off at that point? Um, you know, when it comes to what police What if there was officers, a guy in a uniform that came into the store? When it comes really to, actually impersonating a police officer. Then that guy should be would be more responsible. But at this But what about her? Should she have taken no, off her clothes? She wouldn't be responsible at that point because of the role so of the So somehow police. it's different because he was on the phone. He wasn't on the phone. There was an imposter on the phone. Yes. Why is it different for him to be on the phone as opposed to there in person? Because no cop would do that. I'm saying he would have been an imposter in person, too. Somebody yes, in a, a badge a and a uniform. might very well do a strip search um, in a private place, um, you know, in a restaurant rather mm-hmm. than taking them downtown. Seems a little weird. I understand. But All I'm saying it's is... It's farther into and, weird. And I see what you're saying, but she's a young girl. She doesn't know what she's doing. Uh, and Ms. she Summer believed did... that there was a guy on the phone who was a cop because Ms. her authority Ms. told Summer her Summer believed so. that it was on, there was a guy on the phone that believed it, too. Should she have got charged then? Well, I don't know. It's very hard to say, isn't it? It's a, it's it's not, a tough situation. It's not. Um, the, the people here that are responsible are not McDonald's. They're Summers, Nick's, and uh, Ogilvy. What's her name? Uh, I don't remember. Uh, the, the girl. The chick. And um, I, I would, I, I've got to say that she should have said, yeah, I'm going to put my clothes on and leave, pal. I agree. That's what she should have done. But I can understand how a timid, young, 18-year-old girl and, wouldn't have done that. Can you I, understand that? Absolutely. Okay, and then. I can understand how a dumb um, assistant manager gal who's, uh, you know, hasn't had we much We need to get to the rest of the schooling. story here. What brings us back then brings us back to the trial in Bullitt County. David Stewart, man, remember he's the al- alleged guy on the phone, sat impassively in the courtroom as witnesses recounted the events of that fateful night in April of 2004. One by one, they took the stand. Donna Stummer stated, uh, stated that she was just following instructions. Walter Nix, the man found guilty of sodomy, sat up in his orange prison issue jumpsuit, described his conversation, and told the court that he felt like the caller quote had control of his mind. The jury then witnessed firsthand the ordeal that Louise had gone through as they silently watched the surveillance video, while the detectives described how they were able to track down Stewart using the security camera video from the Walmart. Throughout the trial, the defense attorney maintained the police had caught the wrong man. They had to get somebody, said Steve Relmines, when something, uh, you know, offensive and this happens, you know, we've got to blame it on somebody. It can't be just the, it can't be that people just made bad decisions and, you know, David was the fall guy. When pressed during an interview with ABC News on the issue uh, that there was video of Stewart buying the calling card at Walmart, he said, that's the key question. Was it him? Romines also noted that even if one were to find that it was Stewart who bought the phone cards, it doesn't prove that he was the one that made the calls to the fast food establishments. It does not. Then, detectives testified they'd recovered a calling card from Stewart's home that they said had been used to call a Burger King in Idaho, the same restaurant at which a female manager received a call instructing her to strip a male employee. 
The call had been made earlier in the year. And again, Romines argued that this did not prove that he made the calls. In the end, there apparently wasn't enough evidence to convince the jury. After two hours of deliberation, Stewart was found not guilty on all charges. Wow. So Nix went to jail, Summers got in trouble, and the man on the phone, we still don't know who he was. If it was Stewart, he's not guilty. He's a free man. Your thoughts at 800-259-9231. Packet, uh, the Packet 8 toll-free lines. 1-800-259-9231. Your thoughts on authority, deference to it, following orders, and refusing them. Hour three's on the way. It's Free Talk Live. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free, but if you think other people deserve to hear this show, consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, the Friday edition. We're kicking off Hour 3. You can take control of the airways by dialing in at 800-259-9231. Bring up whatever you want. That's the Packet 8 toll-free line. 1-800-259-9231. Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All of the features on the site are completely free. freetalklive.com. As we kick things off here with a phone call, let's go to Robbie in Wisconsin. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hello, Robbie. Hey, guys. Hey, what's on your mind? Um, Alternative fuel. Okay. What about it? Um, well, what, would, what would you say that uh, if I would be offering to sell you a vehicle that would get, what would run on, uh, well, it's, Sixty cents a gallon, an automobile. Sounds or, pretty good. How many miles do I get to the gallon? Well, the automobile would travel about, on average, it only on a tank full, uh, 150 miles around. An electric vehicle, I'm talking here. Mm-hmm. That's the film uh, "Who Killed the Electric Car," which just came out recently. I, I watched and was blown away. Have you guys uh, checked out the trailers for it at all? Or anything? No, I, I, I think I've no. heard something about it though. Yeah, it's it's very interesting and. Actually, there's um, a bunch of celebrities in there, uh, Tom Hanks and Mel Gibson and a few others. And it's what are they? What's the suggestion uh, that uh, the, the some sort of corporate agents uh, bought up the ideas? I mean, what's the the plot um, of the film? Yeah, mainly like the oil companies is one of the, the major targets in the film, and that they pretty much stopped it. And they were saying that there was no demand for the electric car, which is totally false. Yeah, that's absurd. Yeah. Well, I, the electric cars that were out in the 70s, I don't know if you've ever seen one of these things, but they were like a uh, a, a triangle that went 30 miles an hour. <laughs> oh, I think I've seen a few, yeah, a few pictures of the, the early editions, but the the one that GM had in uh, 1996, it, it actually looked really nice. It looked kind of like uh, the last edition of the uh, Camaro that came out. Mm-hmm. I've never even heard of it. So, I mean, I guess the, the point of the movie is to say that the oil industry has been sort of keeping these ideas down, but now they're coming out again because there's certainly hybrids coming out. Uh, there's pure electric cars, uh, hydrogen-powered cars. They're, I think it's starting to finally expand out a little bit, don't you? Yeah, it's correct because uh, recently I just saw an article uh, the other day that uh, Saturn's coming out with a hybrid that uh, you're going to be able to plug it in and it's going to charge and it's going to get uh, upwards of 70 miles to the gallon, but that's still nothing compared to what uh, electric cars, had, and that was in 96, so who knows what the technology would be today. I think a lot of it has to do, and I don't know if the movie addressed this, um, and you can certainly tell me if they did or not, but I think a lot of it has to do with the oil company's ties to government, and the fact that if it weren't for so many government regulations on energy, um, maybe we would have had this development happening at a faster clip sooner. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with you there, that they, they, like, towards the end of the film, they, it was kind of like a court case, and they they found like a 
all the, the, the people guilty, the automobile industry, the government, uh, and the oil companies, they found them all guilty. Wait, who? Is this fiction, this movie? No, it's, 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 all, it's all documented. They have the, the drivers of the cars, they interview people in government and the oil companies and everything. So somebody was actually but, found but guilty tri- of But the what? trial is fictitious. No, 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 there was no, not like that. It didn't actually go to court that way, but they showed like uh, proceedings in court where they, they cut off the uh, government uh, spending that went to the automobile companies and mm. the claims that there was no demand for the electric car and so Interesting. forth. Interesting. Yeah. They actually, and one thing I was going to bring up is that like what would be the purpose of uh, they, they recalled all these vehicles and then they had them all crushed, and they actually had flew over the crush site, and uh, the cars were crushed. And why would they they take these cars and hide them? Did they? Is this all? I mean, is this all true? GM? Yes, yes. yes. Well, there is actually GM um, was the main one covered in the film, but mm-hmm. uh, Ford, uh, Toyota, Honda, and I think Mazda's in, in the film as well. Wow. The documentary. Yeah, I hope there. I hope the uh, oil business's days are numbered. I hope that we see more competition for alternative forms of energy, um, because more and more energy competition just means lower prices for filling up and and getting to where you need to go. And what was the movie called again? Who killed the electric car? Neat. I'll, uh, I'm sure some of our listeners will be checking that out. Thank you for the call. We appreciate hearing from you at one eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. I my um, I, I think that if we had actually had a, a situation in America where Power companies, for instance, were actually competitive in that you didn't have this one monopolistic power company in your area. You probably would see a really, uh, you know, quite a race to develop newer, more efficient forms of power, um, cheaper forms of power at the same time to feed people's homes with. And that would probably uh, play off into uh, to the automotive business as well. I think really you're looking at a, a tremendous lack of competition amongst the energy industry because of government protectionism. Right, they're, they're bought, you know, they have their lobbyists have bought the politicians so thoroughly they don't have to compete as much as they would otherwise. Yep. I mean, it's nice for them, insured profits, no competition, but it's bad for the rest of us. We could have cleaner burning fuel. We could have uh, more power for less money. All of these things could be happening. But, no, we got to stick with a one-size-fits-all government plan of only one power company for any given area. And as a result, we've got a, a government-approved monopoly. And that's not very American, is it? 800-259-9231. Your thoughts on that? Last hour, we talked about a very disturbing story about a young lady who was strip-searched in her uh, McDonald's back office by the manager at the time who believed she was on the phone with a police officer. Now, the whole story is really disturbing. She was strip-searched. She not only was doing a strip-search, but ordered to do very obscure, strange things like jumping jacks and bending over on a chair so she could be spanked, all because she had allegedly stolen a customer's purse, of course, which wasn't true. The man on the phone wasn't a police officer, and even if he was... The woman shouldn't have been following his orders. And it all has to do with Americans and uh, people everywhere uh, and their deference to authority. The fact that they're willing to do virtually anything, some Americans, not all, because there were two guys that came in and refused to take part in this whatsoever. Well, the part that you're not mentioning is the girl didn't begin screaming at the top of her lungs. Because she probably has very low self-esteem, as many teenage girls do. Well, what about the guy doing the spanking? Doesn't he have low self-esteem, too? I don't know. He's probably enjoying spanking a little 18-year-old hottie. 
He had I an excuse. Know. It was his excuse. Was He's the, the cop only one on the who phone. got any time. That's true. The guy who did the, call, the the phone calling, in all likely, you know, the, the, the one that was accused of doing the phone calling, didn't get any time. Found not guilty. They couldn't prove that he made the calls. They proved they they proved that he bought phone cards that were used in the in the call and had them in and had used ones in his house in his trailer. Yeah, ones that were that had been used in this wasn't um, good enough for the jury. And now he's a, he's still a free man. I don't know if he's still enough to me. I don't know if he's still working for the Corrections Institute that he worked with uh, before. They didn't claim they didn't tell you about what happened to him afterwards. Right. But uh, just a, a a really disturbing story about how it is that people will follow the orders of anyone they perceive to be an authority. And this is not news. This is old news. It's just kind of a new way to spin authority and get people to follow silly orders. Let's track back to, uh, I believe it was the 70s in the Milgram experiment of the late 60s, one or the other, just to kind of clue you into this in case this is news to you. This is uh, from the Milgram experiment on Wikipedia. Subjects were recruited for the Yale study through newspaper ads and direct mail. Experiments occurred in two rooms in the basement of the Lindsay Chitlin Hall in the uh, university's old campus. The experiment was advertised as lasting one hour, for which the respondents would be paid $4.50, whether they completed the task or not. It wasn't too shabby back then. No. Participants were men between the ages of 20 and 50. Um, from all educational backgrounds, ranging from elementary school dropout to participants with doctoral degrees. The role of the experimenter was played by a stern, impassive biology teacher dressed in a technician's coat, mm-hmm. and the victim was played by an Irish-American accountant trained to act for the role. The participant and the confederate of the experimenter um, were told to be the Exper- um, were told by the experimenter that they were to be participating in an experiment to test the effects of punishment on learning. A slip of paper was then given to the participant and the other to the confederate, that's the actor. When, in fact, the study was actually testing their obedience to authority. Correct. The participant was led to believe that one of the slips said learner and the other said teacher. And the participant um, had been given the slips randomly. In fact, both slips said teacher, but the actor claimed to have um, had the slip um, that read learner, thus guaranteeing that the participant was always the teacher. At this point, the <laughs> teacher and learner were separated into different rooms where they could communicate but not see each other. In one version of the experiment, the confederate was sure to mention to the participant that he had a heart condition. The teacher was given a 45-volt electric shock from the electroshock generator as a sample of the shock that the learner would supposedly receive right, during the so experiment. So they've been completely brought into the fold at this point. They believe they were randomly chosen for their role, and they believe that there are electric shocks involved. The reason we're talking about this is because it's really important. More on the way. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, and it's your show. You bring up whatever you want, toll-free, 800-259-9231. Packet 8, toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231 for all your voiceover IP needs, packet8.net. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. All of the features on the site are completely free, and that does include the wiki, wiki.freetalklive.com, where to go to find over 850 pages created by listeners like you. In fact, the, all of the content on the wiki has been created by our listeners. So head over there and get interactive with it at wiki.freetalklive.com, wiki.freetalklive.com. Talking about the Stanley Milgram experiment because, well, it matters. Because it points out, as we're going to show here, 
how obedient people are to what they perceive of as an authority. Now, with the setup so far, is you've got a random group of eh, probably college uh, students. It's uh, thir- uh, t- 20 to 50. Yeah, okay, so men, males. Uh, males coming in to participate in a study that they believed is about um, matching and memory. And essentially, they were ra- supposedly randomly chosen to be the teacher, not the learner. And, of course, they weren't randomly chosen. All of it was a setup to prove how people are obedient to authority. But the setup is that they are supposed to shock the learner when he gets the the word pair wrong. Right, and they're verified with a 45-volt um, electric shock, so they, they know that they in They taste fact, the shock in advance, right. so they and believe that the man's really The guy shocked. says he has a heart condition. Right. So let's continue with so, the Milgram study. The teacher, um, that's the, 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 person, the real person in this uh, experiment, the, uh, the average guy. The teacher was then given a list of word pairs from, um, which he was supposed to teach the learner. The teacher began by reading the list of word pairs to the learner. The teacher would then read the first word of each pair and read four possible answers. The learner would press a button to indicate his response. If the answer was incorrect, the learner would receive a shock with the voltage increasing for each wrong answer. Mm-hmm. If correct, the teacher would read the next word pair. Subjects believed that for each wrong answer, the learner was receiving actual shocks. In reality, there were no shocks. After the confederate, Just acting. Yes. After the confederate was separated from the subject, the confederate um, set up a tape recorder integrated with the electroshock generator, which played pre-recorded sounds for each shock level. After a number of vol- voltage uh, level increases, the actor started to bang on the wall that separated him from the subject. After several times banging on the wall and complaining about his heart condition, the learner gave no further responses to questions and no further complaints. As though he had died over and died. Right. Yeah. At this point, many people indicated their desire to stop the experiment and check on the learner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some test subjects paused at 135 volts and began to question the purpose of the experiment. Most continued after being assured they would not be held responsible. And who were they assured by? The person in the lab coat, a biology teacher. Mm -hmm, But they didn't know that. It was just a man in a lab coat who was conducting the experiment, and he was the perceived authority. Right. A few subjects began to laugh nervously or exhibit other signs of extreme stress once they heard the screams of pain coming from the learner. If at any time the subject indicated his desire to halt the experiment, he was given a succession of verbal prods by the experimenter in this order. Please continue. The experiment requires that you continue. It is absolutely essential that you continue. You have no other choice. You must go on. Oh, my gosh. These are words, though. They're just words. Right. That was actually news to me. I hadn't heard that part about the study. If the subject still wished to stop after all four successive verbal prods, the experiment was halted. Otherwise, it was halted after the subject had given the maximum 450-volt shock three times in succession. I don't know if that'll kill everybody all the time, but it certainly will kill some of the people some of the time. Doesn't sound very uh, yeah. Doesn't sound very nice. It's awful. Before the experiment was conducted, uh, Milgram polled 14 Yale senior psychology majors as to what the results would be. How many people would or would not continue? How far they would go? That sort of thing. All respondents believed that only a sadistic few, average 1.2 percent, would be prepared to give the maximum voltage. Milgram also informally polled his colleagues and found that they believed very few subjects would go beyond a very strong shock. Milgram himself didn't believe it, um, as I've read on the, you know mm-hmm. this experiment. In fact, they were um, trying to figure out well, how the German people could be duped into this whole Auschwitz thing. And then they find out the Americans are exactly the same. Mm-hmm. It's people. 
In Milgram's first set of experiments, 65% of the experimental participants administered the experiment's final 450-volt shock. Oh, my gosh. 65% killed the man. Significant majority. Yeah. Though many were quite uncomfortable doing so. Everyone paused at some point and questioned... But they were just following orders. Yes. At some point, they paused and questioned the experiment, some even saying that they would return the check for the money they were paid. No participant steadfastly refused to give further shocks before the 300-volt level. Wait, wait, wait. None of them refused? No participant steadfastly refused to give further shocks before the 300-volt level. Wow. Variants of the experiment were later performed by Milgram himself and other psychologists around the world with similar results. Mm -hmm. Apart from confirming the original results, the variations have tested variables in the experimental um, setup. Dr. Thomas Blass of the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, performed a meta-analysis of the results of repeated performances of the experiment. He found that the percentage of participants who were prepared, prepare, prepared to inflict final fatal dosages remained remarkably constant, between 61 and 66%. Oh, my gosh. Uh, are those the same people that don't really vote? <laughs> Regardless of time or location, there's little-known coda um, to the experiment reported by uh, Philip Zimbardo, none of the participants who refused the administrator... Zimbardo's the guy that uh, set up the uh, Milgram or the um, Stan- Stanford Prison Experiment. Oh, is he? Yeah. None of the participants who refused to administer the um, final shocks insisted that the experiment itself be terminated, nor left the room to check the victim um, was well without asking for permission to leave, according to Milgram's notes, recollections when he was asked um, on this point by Zimbardo. Wait, wait, wait. None of the, uh, the vic- none of the suckers... Um, left without asking for permission to leave? Is that what he just said? None I missed that. None of the participants who um, refused to administer the final shocks. So okay. these are the people that, that wouldn't go all the way. Dropped somewhere between 300 and 450. Okay. Insisted that the experiment itself be terminated. They just they just didn't want to continue themselves. Gotcha. Nor left the room to check the victim was well without asking for permission to leave. Wow. According to Milgram's notes. So none of these people said, "I am out of here. You people are sick." I can't believe this. I'm going to go check on that man in that room, and if you come anywhere near me, I'm going to knock your freaking teeth out. Nobody was a hero. Nobody. And there are 40 men that participated in this. Mm. That's a it's, a it's a large number. 40 men in that study, and then more in other studies to back it up. Lots of other studies. Um, let's see. Oh Milgram created a documentary film entitled Obedience, showing the experiment and its results. He also produced a series of five other films on social um, social pathology. and So... So dangerous. Yeah. So dangerous. And you can sit here and you can say to yourself, well, I wouldn't be like that. But 40 out of 40 administered the 300-volt shocks. And zero out of 40 actually stood up and and, and left on their own. Here's from one of the... Uh Participants, while I was a um, subject in the 1964 experiment, although I believed I was hurting someone, I was totally unaware of why I was doing so. Few people ever realize when they are acting according to their own beliefs, when they are meekly submitting to authority. Mm -hmm. To permit myself to be drafted with the understanding that I am submitting to authority's demand to do something very wrong and make, um, make me frightened of myself. I'm fully prepared to go to jail if I'm not granted um, a conscientious objector status. Indeed, it is the only course I could take to be faithful to what I believe. My only hope is that members of my board act equally according to their conscience. 800-259-9231. There you have it. Anybody is subject to this, which is why you really need to keep it front and center in your mind to question authority, 
no matter who they are or what uniform they're wearing. 800-259-9231. This is Free Talk Live. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, toll-free number for you, 800-259-9231. That's the Packet 8 toll-free line. 800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All of the features there are completely free. Enjoy them. Though we do ask that in return for providing you a free-to-use website that you vote for the show. It is the first day of the month of December, and that means that the voting totals have been reset over at podcastalley.com. Now, as of right now, we're the number two podcast in the world. We started at number one earlier tonight. Uh, the, the competition is, is hot already, so we need you to head out there at vote.freetalklive.com. Take a moment of your time. It'll take you less than a minute to head over there and cast your vote for Free Talk. Live. I already did mine. I did mine earlier today, and That's uh, two. a couple hundred of our listeners, I think, have already come on board and voted. Last month, we hit our highest vote total, I think, of all time, Mark. About a thousand, right? Uh, about a thousand votes, and uh, that's excellent. Mm-hmm. It ended up finishing us in in third place. For the month of November. That which darn Harry Potter. Is good, but it wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough to beat the uh, the Potter po- uh, podcasts. And so we're... They got about 1,200, I think. Yeah, we're at it again, uh, once again, rounding up votes. And the more we Oh my can, God, we're not first. Yeah, I told you, we're second. The more that we... Uh, the more votes, unacceptable. The more votes we can get in the beginning of the month, the better, because it kind of um, gives us some momentum, if you will throughout the entire month. So head over to vote.freetalklive.com, register your appreciation for the show, um, ask a few friends to vote for Free Talk Live as well, and hey, maybe ask them to listen if they get a chance. Again, vote.freetalklive.com. Talking about authority. Um, Still, we had the story last hour about the young girl who was ordered to strip naked in the back office of McDonald's by a mystery man on the phone claiming to be a police officer. You've got the Milgram Experiment, which we just went through, classic experiment, been duplicated many times ever since, that shows very clearly human beings, it doesn't matter if they're Americans or Europeans, human beings apparently tend to have a deference to authority that can be very, very uh, dangerous. Apparently it killed this, uh, you know, it killed this fictitious man. Yeah, um, and the, of course the Milgram study involved people being told to administer shocks to a man that they didn't personally know and uh, by a man in a lab coat. Now, there was an alternate version of the Milgram study where we talked about the guy in the lab coat who was in charge of the study giving people orders to shock others. And people, of course, did follow the orders. Most of the people, 65% of them, went all the way to the maximum level of shock to where the man wasn't even responding anymore. 450 volts. They did it three times in a row, though. Yep. Um, and none of, them a- none of them left without asking permission to leave. I mean, it's just an amazing study. But they found out that when you change the, um, when you change the man who's doing the encouraging to just another participant, Mm -hmm. it completely changes the face of the results of the study. I bet that's true, too. So what you originally had in the Milgram study was the scientist standing there giving the orders. I don't know if you still have those four orders that he gave in uh, in order. For instance, if, if the person was questioning whether or not they should continue to increase the voltage and to continue to shock the man 
They said these four things, and that's all they said. Once they had said these four things, that was it. Uh, it, it would basically go like, I don't know if I should continue doing this. Please continue. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. He sounds like he's hurting in there. The experiment requires that you continue. Oh, okay. <laughs> he's screaming in there. This is really... I, I, don't, I don't know if we should c- keep doing this. It's absolutely essential that you continue. Essential. Hmm. All right. He's not responding. What do do I do now? You have no other choice. You must go on. And and they did. And they did. And they did. And they did. Now, 65% of them. Again, in the alternate version, the person giving those suggestions, those commands, was another participant in the study. So somebody in the same room, somebody observing. The lab coat guy was not there. And the results changed. Because when the person is perceived to be an equal, when the person is perceived to be just somebody else, right. some other guy, somebody without authority, so-called, right. then we don't listen to them. No biggie. Then we will say, no, who are you? Who are you to tell me to do this? Indeed, who is the question? What are they wearing? And what is their demeanor? Because it all has to do with the results. You know, it's all about the hat. It's all mm. about the hat somebody wears. Or the, the badge. Or the you know, uniform. But they still got a hat. They or got a the special robe. hat. And it's so disturbing to me. And, and we talk about the Milgram study at least once a year on this show, and I think we should, because it's, it's really that important. Um, go learn more about it at Wikipedia. And also, um, since we've, we've not, I'm not going to get back into it, but the Stanford Prison Experiment is also an excellent uh, accompaniment. If you're going to learn about the Milgram Experiment, also learn about the Stanford Prison Experiment, because they both tie in really well together. Milgram, of course, showing that people are obedient to authority, and Stanley uh, or the Stanford Prison Experiment showing that people become the roles that they're suggested to become. They might not have been sicko sadists, but when you put them in the role as prison guard, the sadist comes out. 800-259-9231 is the toll-free number. Amy writes in, I'd like to call in with this story, but my phone isn't working. When I was 17, I found myself being followed by an anonymous white van as I drove home with a friend. It's <laughs> a little disturbing. It was, well, yeah, men in va- vans, look out. Hey, you know, I, uh, I drove a white van for quite some time. <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't have any windows. And look out. Yeah, well, uh, mom just, uh, liked to... It's, it's good for carrying the dog crates around. She, dogs. she says, it was about 10 o'clock at night. I noticed the van was behind me, but it, it didn't register that I was being followed until I turned onto my block. I pulled into my driveway. I still lived with, with my parents at the time, thinking that the person in the van would see all of the lights on in my house and drive away. This wasn't the case. He got out of the van, and I locked my car doors, frozen in fear. Now, he wasn't in a police uniform, but he waved a badge and was ordering me to open my door. I refused. Instead, I leaned on my horn and screamed. My dad came out of the house, and the cop jumped into his van and drove away. Oh, my God. I shudder to think what might have happened had I obeyed his orders and opened the door instead of honking my horn and making a scene. Indeed. That guy had some brass balls to do something like that, right out in front of somebody's house with lights on, obviously occupied. He wasn't intending to do something good. The people, the people that do these things, uh, they they seem to do some really brave slash crazy stupid stuff. Your thoughts at eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. As we go to Indiana, 
The AP, two students are suing to return to school after they were expelled for making a movie in which evil teddy bears attack a teacher. The teenagers were among four students expelled from Knightstown High School over the movie titled The Teddy Bear Master. My God. Two of the boys are asking a federal judge in Indianapolis to order the students reinstated, arguing that their school officials overreacted to a film parody and violated their First Amendment rights. Now, they obviously don't know that you don't have First Amendment rights when you're on school campus. How do I know that? Well, my principal told me so when I was in high school. Well, you believed him. Well, he was right. I couldn't say what I wanted to say. It is true. Uh, in Knightstown, Principal Jim Diago, Diagostino and Superintendent David Guire don't see the humor and note that the teacher who is threatened in the movie has the same last name as a real teacher in the district. That's crazy to think that it's a threat to anyone, says the mother of uh, son Isaac and his friend Cody. And uh, she has filed, apparently, the lawsuit in U.S. District Court. We as adults, supposedly, and educators at that who have failed terribly... Uh, they're willing to throw four good kids away, says the mom, whose son has missed more than a month of school. But the Charles A. Beard Memorial School Board last week upheld the suspensions of Amel Overbay and a third student who had appealed to return to the school. The other boys who were expelled have not taken legal action. Indiana law allows for expulsion for activity unconnected with the school if the activity is unlawful and interferes with school operations. The Henry County Prosecutor's Office reviewed the movie but declined to press charges. The boys, who are all sophomores, worked on the teddy bear movie from fall 2005 through summer of 2006. In the movie, the teddy bear master orders stuffed animals to kill a teacher who had embarrassed him. But students battle the toy beasts, according to the documents filed in court. It's a 14 so, or 15-year-old boy's idea of humor, says the attorney for the ACLU. So the, uh, the, they were actually fighting off the teddy bears and trying to save the teacher. To save the teacher. But everybody is so uppity these days that... The mention of a teacher's name in a fictional, uh, a fictional production is enough to suspend people, to expel them from school. 800-259-9231. I made a little production in my high school days. It probably would have gotten me in a little bit of trouble. I'll tell you about it coming up. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, the final segment of the Friday edition. Still time for your call if you make it now at 800-259-9231. That is the Packet 8 toll-free lines. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. All of the features on the site are completely free, so enjoy them. And if you do enjoy them, then maybe you should become a Free Talk Live amplifier. Head over to amp.freetalklive.com to learn what it's all about. It's very simple. It stands for Advertise, Market, and Promote. And the idea is that you send us 3 bucks a month if you like the show and you want to help uh, spread Free Talk Live to more radio stations, get more Internet listeners on board. It's very easy. You go to amp.freetalklive.com to learn more about it. You get signed up there, and then you become a Free Talk Live amplifier, and that does qualify you for a few bonuses, like access to the amplifier-only call-in lines, amplifier-only forum, uh, classic archives, and more. Amp.freetalklive.com. Great way to support the show. So we're talking about the Teddy Bear Master. It's a movie that a couple of high school kids made. Actually, apparently uh, a, a number of high school kids about four of them, and they were all expelled over the movie. Why? Well, because one of the characters in the movie, the plot of the movie, pretty simple. Uh, the teddy bear master, one of the characters in the film, orders his teddy bear minions to kill a teacher who had embarrassed said teddy bear master. But students step in to battle the toy beasts, according to documents filed, yes, in court. 
the students are now suing to go back to these government schools. And, and again, why it is that parents uh, really want to put their kids back in these hell holes is beyond me. That I just don't understand. Maybe they could sue for some cash and then take the cash and put their kids into private schools where maybe their talents would be appreciated. Because what you're talking about here is a situation where they should have been encouraged. Oh, like you're 14, 15 years old and you're already working with DV cameras. You're out there making uh, and editing your own films. I think that should be something that should be encouraged. Uh, the content, non-issue. The content wasn't a direct threat against a particular teacher. No. It just the, the character in the movie happened to share a last name with Daniel Clevenger, who teaches seventh grade at Knightstown Intermediate School. Now, Clevenger can't be a uh, very common name. They may have indeed picked him because maybe he was a teacher in the past and they didn't like him, or maybe they did like him. Again, they did save him from the teddy bears in the in the film. Could very well But have. nonetheless, Mr. Clevenger felt threatened by the movie. Indianapolis attorney Robert Kelso, who represents the school district, wrote in a document filed in court that the movie, uh, the movie quote, contained vulgar and offensive language, threatened and intimidated a teacher. Hey! Hello, McFly, you're talking about high school kids. You expect them... I mean, this wasn't even a movie, apparently, at least not from what I can tell, for any sort of class assignment. It doesn't mention in here that this was for an assignment. It just appears that they were making this movie for fun. My friends and I used to make violent movies for fun when we were kids. We didn't happen to involve any teachers' names, but nonetheless, these are some of the things that young teenagers in America, teenage boys specifically, I think, do. They make movies. And in this case, they made a movie. They happened to include the name of a teacher. And now they're in big trouble for it. Now they've been expelled. And I think it's a shame. It seems like they're going overboard. They're going way overboard. And it makes me remember back to my high school and days. And it really ruins these kids' lives. I mean, it certainly doesn't help them in, uh, in their, their pursuit of well, success. Well, I hope it does help them. I hope a film school gets in touch with them and gives them a scholarship or something like that. Now, I hope something good comes out of this for them. Which could happen. But it, rem it makes me remember my high school days and something that I did that luckily, apparently, didn't get out far enough. Because if it had, who knows what they would have done to me. Now, back when I was in high school, it was the mid-90s, and there was a very popular computer game called Doom. Now, Doom was one of the very first first-person shooters, as they call them today, where you are essentially in the body of the player in the game, and you r run around and shoot and kill virtually anything that moves. Now, one of the cool things that made Doom such a revolutionary game, besides its uh, very fun network play, you, get, you could get online, and or not online, at the time it was dial-up modems, you'd have to dial up somebody else's modem directly, and really? you, could, you could battle it out between the two computers. Hmm. Or if you were fortunate enough to have more than a few computers in your house, you could network them together, and you could play in your, on your local network. That was one of the, the cool things about Doom. But the other thing was that Doom was one of the very first games to allow user-customizable content. And this is very, very, it's just taken for granted today. A lot of games come out today, and there's this huge community that sort of surrounds the game, and they create new levels and new graphics and add-ons and patches and all kinds of neat new content that's all free because they're just game freaks, and they spend all of their free time coding all of this stuff, uh, these everybody's, bonuses for the game. Everybody's got to have a hobby, and that's that, theirs. That's their hobby. And some of them are really good at it. I'm I mean, sure. like professional-grade quality coming out of just essentially people volunteering their time. It's just a matter of time that they manage to practice on it, I'm sure. So, as you could imagine, being in high school, 
I had a little free time on my hands. And you're a freak, too. And I'm a geek. And so I went ahead and created not only a level for the game Doom, which happened to be modeled exactly after the high school cafeteria, hmm. but I also, I mean, I went in there and took measurements. <laughs> I went in there and uh, and really did a good job. Tried to get it pretty darn close, huh? And so not only did I create the level that identified as the high school cafeteria, but I also made a graphics patch for the game that changed all of the monsters in the game to floating heads scanned in from the, uh, the high school yearbook. Yeah. I just knew that was coming. Yeah, I had the principal, I had the vice principal, I had some of the most unpopular teachers in the school. And so you would load up the level, you'd load up the graphics patch, and you would go through the level and blast away, uh, violently killing graphical representations of the teachers at my school. Did it yep. mean that I wanted to go and kill the teachers at my school? No! Did it mean that I even seriously considered doing something like that in real life for a moment? Absolutely not. The thought never even crossed my mind. It was pure fantasy. And I had violent uh, death animations for each one yep. of them. Uh, the, each um, creature, I had different death animations. So it's not like that I just, you just riddle them all with bullets and they all die in the same way. I had like one of them would explode, sort of get their face would get bigger and bigger and sort of explode out. And uh, there was a bunch of different ones. And uh, you know, very post, gory. Now in this post-Columbine world, you would have oh, yeah. gone Guantanamo. This was, uh, this was three years before, Guantan- uh, three years <laughs> before uh, Columbine happened. But yeah, had that gotten out? Had that gotten to the administration? You can bet I would have been in trouble back then. I don't know how bad it would have been compared to today. But can you imagine? Can you imagine, kids, somebody in administration today getting their hands on something that violent? That you, know, I mean, you think this teddy bear master is bad. In Teddy Bear Master, they save the teacher right. from the attacking bear. He lives. <laughs> in my game, the, the goal was to eliminate the, uh, all of the life from the level. They and die. kill all of these people. Right. So, and I'm okay. I'm not a violent person. In fact, I'm a libertarian. Yep. So I'm no one's died. Only in favor of the violence. Of this talk show host, self-defense. But nonetheless, can you just imagine how people would have responded to that? Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. And maybe I would have ended up in court. Maybe I would have ended up on the witness stand, swearing in, like this guy. Um, this is uh, Ellison, um, the congressperson that wants to be sworn in on the Koran. Apparently, he has uh, all kinds of conservatives all riled up. Before he became the nation, <laughs> yeah, before he became the nation's first Muslim elected to Congress, Democrat Keith Ellison was called unfit for Congress by his Republican opponent. This is obviously a, a very, uh, um, it's, it's from Think Progress and very okay. pro-Democrat. And that's just the beginning. Ellison is setting yet another precedent in January when he takes the oath of office on the Koran, Islam's, hmm. Islam's holiest book, in case you didn't know. That's going to make a stir, huh? Mm-hmm. An event that invoked <laughs> conservatives to accuse him of, um, of deviating his allegiance from the Constitution to Allah. What? What's the Constitution have to do with the Bible? Nothing. You don't, you don't swear on the Constitution. You swear on the Bible. Um, but if you don't believe in the Bible... How can you swear on it? I wouldn't do it. I'm an atheist. We wouldn't swear on the Bible? No. Mm, I would. I watched Dave, our listener, Dave from New Hampshire, I watched him get up in a federal courtroom and refuse to swear on the Bible. Wasn't a problem. They still let him testify. Yep. Well, I'm uh, 
I, I don't believe I'm not a Christian, mm-hmm. but I would swear on the Bible just because it's that's what they want to swear on. Fine. <laughs> okay. On Tuesday, conservative radio talk show host and columnist Dennis Prager wrote America is only interested yeah. in one book, the Bible. Direct- oh, yeah. He speaks for all of America. Right. Huh? Directly addressing jerk. Ellison. He added, if you're incapable of taking an oath on that book, don't serve in Congress. Who do you think you are? Jerkweed. Ellison said that he's not changing his mind about the sacred text. Good for him. He's swearing on. The Constitution guarantees for everyone to take the oath of office on whichever book they prefer. I'm not sure it says that. He said in a uh, telephone interview, and that's the fr- um, that's what the freedom of religion is all about. According to Roll Call, the Capitol Hill's newspaper, swearing in a particular sacred text is a symbolic, optional affair for House members who would like to t- a photo op with the Speaker of the House at the end of the mass swearing-in ceremony, which has no specific religious denomination. Good. Now, I hope he goes through with this, and I hope he's successful, and I hope a bunch of conservative talk show hosts get very angry about it. Well, they certainly are. It's Benny in here with you. And Mark. We'll be back tomorrow night online in the meantime at freetalklive.com. Don't forget to miss the live Saturday show tomorrow night. we got some killer stuff on the way for that. This is your show, Free Talk Live. See you tomorrow night. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronics, photo, cell phone, office products, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supplies, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, a great deal, delivery to your door, and a percentage of your purchase will go to Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon through Amazon.freetalklive.com.